live. Welcome to Iron Rations. I am Eric Tinkar, your bartender in the OSR. With me is Joe the Lawyer. Hey, guys. How you doing tonight? Happy weekend uh, to y'all. Yeah, you know, it's... Uh, it's 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 been an interesting oh it's been an interesting couple of weeks. We're not going to delve into that much tonight. Uh, I think we all know the elephant in the room. TSR is dead. TSR is alive. TSR is dead. TSR is alive. Uh, it, no. it, it, keeps casting rays on dead again. You know. It's, oh, yeah. I, 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 I I think it's a troll. Somebody actually <laughs> mentioned to me uh, on a PM. It's like you you, you know uh, what do you think? You need these napalm on this, and this is. <laughs> And this is before the latest. They're gone. They're back again. So uh, I, 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 I don't, I don't fucking know. I really, it, it, but it's certainly entertaining. Yeah. So the ups and downs. Yeah. <laughs> if 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 you're listening to this and you want to get a little entertained, I I, I did a quick uh, episode earlier today where I actually called the customer service number for the new TSR, <laughs> and uh, it went to voicemail. Did say it was uh. TSR. And I, well, and I didn't go to India at least, right? I mean, these guys. Well, no, no, apparently not. And this guy, the new Michael, apparently is a legit person. So, uh, well, you know, as legit as they come, I guess. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, yeah. you know, I, I offered my callback number. Said mine will probably go to voicemail too, but I'm willing to play phone tag. Yeah. But I, I'd love to ask questions. And uh, listen, I'm going to put this out. There. If anybody knows Steve Dinehart, who is apparently now being thrown under the bus. Um, I'm going to reach out to Steve probably on Twitter. It might be the best way for me to find him. But um, if anybody out there knows him and wants to get him in contact with me, uh, I would be more than happy to uh, speak with Steve and get his side of the story. Because, uh, hey, it needs to be told. And I, I, don't, I don't believe that the bus being parked on him is being parked on the right, right person. So there. I said it. Now we got it out of the way. Now we can All go right. on to... Bigger and better things. The elephant is now uh, pushed out of the room. <laughs> the elephant is gone. All right. The elephant so, is gone. How about, we had a couple of topics we were talking about today. Um, I came up with house rules. When, why, how do you use them? And you came up with a good one too, right? Yes. I wanted to, And I talked about this very briefly earlier in the week. Mm-hmm. But um, I want to get Joe's uh, feedback on it. Different types of campaigns. Like when, you, when you run a, a game. When you're running an RPG campaign, there's different ways to run it. There's different yeah. um, I don't know, styles, maybe I guess. But you can run uh, if if you are somebody who's played Pathfinder, they call it an adventure path. But mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's it's linked adventures that one leads to the other. Choo choo. I, I choo choo. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Listen, I think of it, and I think of Dragonlance back yeah. in. Oh in, yeah. In oh yeah. Where. This stuff has to happen, and if it didn't happen, it still happened because you uh-huh. can get from, from one point to the other. If There's, you look at the uh, second adventure, I think they talked about this person cannot be killed. <laughs> There's a, several of these people, like that few Master Toady or Toad, whatever his name was, the Hobgoblin. Right. It's like he can't be killed because we got plans for him later. So whatever happens to him, even if he like cut his fucking head off, he ain't really dead. Find a way to say he's not dead. <laughs> It's right. Like, oh, no, what? Yeah, you know, he, we burned the body. Well, yeah. that, you know it what? A, really, it was an imposter. Yeah, it was really a doppelganger. Yeah, yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> I mean, I, I had like the first, I think, two or three of the uh, Dragonlance um, modules, and then I stopped. I mean, I yeah. enjoy the books. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, I yeah. enjoy the books. 
But I was just like, this, this is, you know, you're not playing the game when the outcome is already predetermined, yeah. right? That, that's yeah. part of the problem. So I was thinking but that, that you can do that. And I think it, 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 we're probably skilled enough to make it less real roady, but still, yeah. yeah. I did that a um, long, long time ago with Dragonlance, which is maybe one of the topics to hit on with the campaign development. I mean, I, what it's it's maybe a different kind of category, but it's sort of set the model for what I do now. I'll buy stuff and I'll steal pieces from it and I'll make it my own, right? And right. so I, I try that way. There's no railroad. Like I did this thing with Dragonlance, I, and this was in my late late teens. I was I think my sister was still playing with us. We hadn't killed all her characters yet into oblivion. So she was oh, still shit. happy with us. <laughs> but she, yeah. So we played the campaign and uh, I just took bits and pieces and I had a sort of a time, uh, a planar interplanar travel thing. And these characters, my brother and a sister and the other guy, their, their task was to stand in as like mentors and trainers for the other guys. So you had Carmen and Raceland and all those guys. And so I, I knew the structure of the novels because I love them. I read them all because right. Raceland was a god to me, right? Because I'm a, you know, magic and love and geek. And so I, I, I took all the characters and their role was to be the mentor. Because back then we still believed in training and time for training and all that oh stuff. Oh my god, right? yeah, I remember that shit. Yep, yep. So that's what I did. And I, I, and I, I used the stories from both Chronicles and Legends so that uh, that other mage, Fist of Dantilus and all that stuff, and I just brought it all in together. And I guess that's that's kind of the primary way I do adventures now. I mean, I I tend to look for the long haul. That was a, that was a sort of a self-contained campaign, obviously because it's Dragonlance and yada yada. But right. I steal what I can from all the stuff. I, it's like it's like taking pieces from ten different jigsaw puzzles and making my own picture out of it. I guess is the best way to describe it, right? And okay. and I'll I'll develop a world. Um, either you know my own or they're like forgotten realms or whatever, and I'll make it my own. And I look at my job as a DM to the setting is mine and the big overarching history of the nations, world, and, and regions is mine, right? And so I know what's going to happen. I I got a timeline in terms of that, and the players can interact on the local level. As they get higher, they can interact on the nation national level. As they get higher, they can interact on the world level, right? Right. So that's that's the thing, and and so my timeline is not set in stone. It's pretty much this is what's going to happen if they don't do a thing, right? And so they'll interact and, and play in the sandbox, and uh, I guess I call it a a sandbox made of jigsaw puzzle pieces from multiple puzzles, and that's the, <laughs> so that's it. <laughs> well, and that, and that's and that's actually pretty interesting because that's not a style I would have even have again. And I think I look at four main styles. The adventure path is one of them, but you're taking an adventure path and you're breaking it down into pieces. Yeah, yeah. That you can then shuffle around. That's interesting. Now, there's an, yeah. that's. I think the opposite of the adventure path is the episodic, mm-hmm. and when I think of episodic, it it reminds me, I guess, of for our generation, it would be like Magnum PI. Every episode or every maybe maybe there was a pair of episodes that one led to the other, but mm-hmm. you could watch them in any order. Mm-hmm. They one did not necessarily lead to the other. Yeah, Those like yeah. yeah, you know they were self-contained. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I look back at how I ran things, probably when I was younger, most of it was episodic. We didn't yeah. really there, there was a campaign world, but you didn't have this overarching bullshit going on. Yeah, my, yeah. Not my language on that, yeah. but it was each adventure stood on its own. Each adventure, and maybe mm-hmm. there was a link here or there. But players just want, what are we playing this week? Oh, well, there's a new adventure from Dungeon Dungeon Magazine. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's what you ran. 
and the players were there yeah. for each adventure. They weren't worried about overarching goals. Now, yeah. the advantage to that is that if there are adventures for like DCC RPG, which I've converted on the fly in the past to Swords of Wizardry, they work really well as episodic adventures because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. they don't link well to each other at fucking all. They're all over the top bizarre and they're fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But they don't work well like that. Now, uh, another style would be something like the sandbox hex crawl. And some people use it inter- yeah. interchangeably. Yeah. They're not really interchangeably because uh, a hex crawl is more about exploration and a sandbox is more about finding, like, you you you, you decide which um, hints, which little leads to follow up on yeah. in yeah, a yeah. sandbox. Whereas the hex crawl, it's like, all right, we're exploring a strange new world, mm-hmm, but they mm-hmm. both require a lot of improvisation and prep on the part of the of the GM, and yeah. it requires a lot of input from the players. And sometimes yeah, yeah. players don't want to put that much into it; they yeah. want to experience the adventure. They don't want to generate the adventure, yeah. and that is a down part. Now, well, I think the first one, though, the, the first one he talked about, I think the that that fit with the BX and AD and D style. Because yes. when you're doing it, you're buying modules. That's what we did. I don't. I I didn't. I knew I didn't have the capability to make my own shit at age 15. I just started, right? And so, right. what are you gonna do? You're gonna go to the Walden Books. You're gonna sit in the corner. You're gonna secretly, so the guy at the register doesn't see you. You're gonna slit the top of the fucking module with your fingernail. You're gonna pull it out. You're gonna read it to see if it's any good, and then you stick it back in if it's not. So you know your brother blocks the view of the guy. There's no cameras back then, right? You right. put it back on the shelf. So you bought these things, and you didn't know where the, you know there was no connection, like you're saying. I know now they try to make the connections. There was like the B one two three adventures that they try to connect them all. Rahaj, the palace, the silver princess, all that shit. Oh but, yeah, uh, yeah. B, you know. B, the, for the B one to nine, yeah, uh, collection. Yeah. Um. Tries to do that and doesn't really Poorly. do it. Well, <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's it's pretty poor. But now, have to remember too. Back when we started, not necessarily with the D and D adventures, but the A D and D adventures were all written initially for convention play. Yeah. So A one through four were all convention adventures. They were linked. Yep. yep. But the links were tenuous, and yeah. they gave away. A shit ton of magic because the assumption was wasn't a campaign. Yeah. So yeah. there, there was there was that. So that's another issue. Now, I would throw out the to me the fourth of these major styles of running a campaign would be mega dungeons. Yeah. And yeah. Um, for the busy is, DM. <laughs> you know, uh-huh. you buy it, you, whether it's uh, Rappanathic or that Waterdeep, uh, the, the the dungeon under Waterdeep oh, Mountain, under Mountain, whether Incarnation Under Mountain. I know the newer one is pretty good. I've I got it, and the older one I didn't like it so much. But um, but yeah, yeah, whatever it is, it's it's the DM's friend, Baromaze, whatever it is. And I think Baromaze, by the way, my vote for the best old school. Um, well, mega dungeon. Bar- Baromage- Barrel Maze is unique because it's a mega dungeon that you can easily break out into separate trips. Yes. Just the way it's designed. So it is it, it is manageable. It doesn't overwhelm you. Now, if you mm-hmm. want to be overwhelmed, and I will admit that thanks to the generosity of the members of the community for using my drive through uh, RPG affiliate links, I had enough money to get the halls of Arden Vul complete in print. 
The who's of what? The, the whole holes, of the halls of Arden Vool complete. This came out. What is that? Oh. I got me on Google. Halls of how do you spell that shit? A R D E N V U L from Expeditious Retreat Press came out. I want to say about a year ago. Came out in April of uh, 2020. Oh, shit. <clears throat> it is a 1200. Oh, sorry, it's an 1120 page mega dungeon. It's like. I think five or twenty pages. Holy yeah. shit! I'm looking at it now. Mother God, twenty one hundred and sixty two encounters, fourteen factions, ten yep. levels, fifteen extensive sub levels, seven exterior locations, hundred forty nine new monsters, three hundred thirty two new magic items, sixty nine new technological items. There's the game breaker. Forty four spells, hundred eighty nine new books through which PCs can gain an understanding. I never heard of this shit. Where the hell did this come from, man? 140 oh, yeah. original pieces of art, 28 full-page illustrations. Holy Christ. So here's the deal. I actually own this in in, in print. It was, wow. I don't, it was like five or 600 bucks. Jesus. It was ridiculous. It was, it was a lot. However, uh, the PDF is normally 109 uh, Until tomorrow morning, it's $43.60. It's the yeah, deal of the day. That. But he, there's a there's an interesting thing if you go to the drive through page and you scroll down, what is it? Just other purchases that you can make with this product. Why is it not showing up on my page? There we go. Absolutely. I'm looking at it now. You can you can get the you can look at the VT. T, actually, maybe it wasn't as much as I thought. Maybe I'm seeing the the bundle for two seventy five. I guess that's the uh, the print version. Okay. It was, exp it was expensive. Yeah. Was yeah. Cheap. Well, but, uh, it was three eighty four. It's over hundred bucks off right now. If you want to do that, yeah. But uh, the VTT maps are free, so you can actually look really? at the maps and see if this is because the, they pay what you want. You can look at the maps and see the quality of it. I mean, for a mega dungeon, yeah. honest to God, a lot of times that's what you want to know about, right? Yeah, exactly. Does the map? Do the maps make any sense? Are they stupid? Did anybody with a brain design the goddamn architecture? Because that drives me insane. That was yeah. the problem with Mazaluski's bullshit Dwimmer Mount. The maps never. Who the hell would design something like that? Why would? It, that's one of the problems. One of the many back then, you know. But it's like, who would design? What architect would do something like this? I, I, I hate the word verisimilitude, but it makes sense in this case. It means to hang together. What are the orcs take a shit? You know, <laughs> that kind yeah, of stuff I mean has to be there to me. I mean, a mega dungeon is is it's strange in a lot of ways because it's a dungeon that also becomes the environment, yeah. right? So in a way, it's it's a bit of a hex crawl, but it's a hex crawl mm -hmm. with limited options, and it's not three dimensional. Mm -hmm. What well, is, but it isn't. So you kind of, if if you're a DM that doesn't plan to read 1120 pages, in oh, God. At one thing, I, I know I haven't. I've I've barely cracked these books over open, but here's the thing: you can crack open just enough to do where your party's going to get this this session, and maybe if they push it, mm -hmm. maybe a little bit beyond, and then you can be ready for the next session. Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. it allows you to take things piecemeal. Yeah. Now yeah. this is the extreme version of a mega dungeon, and it's got very good reviews. And yeah, it does. Um, I I've I've heard. Arguments. Uh, Bad Mike will be the one that will define a mega dungeon as a mega dungeon is a dungeon environment that your party will never complete because it's just yeah. too big. You get bored too. Eventually, yeah. the players get bored. I thought that's why Baramaze was good because you can get a sense of, of accomplishment in it, complete it, leave, and say, "I did a good job here. That was fun. Let's go on to this next thing." Now you're not stuck in there for 48 levels, you know? Right. You're a lot. You can leave now. Like Rap and Athic, we did that for a 
a good part of our, our, our campaign. And then you're right, it petered because it becomes repetitive. Um, yep. Uh, we did that. I did that with uh, Castle of the Mad Earth Mage. Also, uh, I ran. Now, to me, I consider a mega dungeon, if, if you can do the majority of a campaign in the dungeon, it's a mega yeah. dungeon. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Temple uh, T one to four Temple of Elemental Evil. Mm-hmm. I've heard it's not a mega dungeon. You know what? It gets your characters from level one to level seven or eight. Yeah, that's a me- that's a mega dungeon. That's, yeah. that's, yeah. that's a campaign arc. Yeah, yeah. To me, that that absolutely. Usually, yeah, I mean, what else? Uh, um, Lost City of Baracus. Mm-hmm. My part. My party got up to like level five or six. Drove off a dragon, losing half that party. Yeah, and yeah. they decided. And now, honestly, probably about 80% of the adventure was left untouched because the campaign ended after that because they decided on their own, we are never going to ever accomplish something better yeah. than driving off a dragon and getting to keep some of it toward. And we know the dragon's going to be looking for us. <laughs> yeah, let's get out of Dodge. So let's let's, let's <laughs> yeah. end this campaign yeah. on the high note, not <laughs> when we get fucking killed. Yep. So. Yep. I think the Mega Dungeon provides an opportunity where something that's really, really fun and that other types of things don't is that the DM wants to get into this thing, competing adventuring groups. So if you got Hamlet, right, there's one thing yeah. to go back and forth and it's just you and nobody else knows about it. But what if other people hear about it? What if it's bigger than Temple? What if it's Fandolin, uh, you know, the setting for 5e, but you drop Rappanathic in there like I did, right? So right. It, it becomes a place where competing adventuring groups can hang out at the watering hole. The event, they, and as adventurers guild gets established, you know, they, and if the competing adventure groups are, are hostile towards you, because of course you're competing, right? If they're of the uh, non-good alignments and they ambush your ass on the way in and out, you know, that, that, that especially when you're weak coming out of the place, right? They know where you went in, you ambush them on the way out. That makes for a fun thing. And the competition, you get back to the bar holding up the demon's head or something, and the other one's, ah, look, bragging rights, you're hanging on the wall, the adventurers guild. That whole interaction to me is really, really fun, but it requires a lot of NPC work and all that kind of shit too, though. Well, and, and here's the thing too, like with, with the Mega Dungeon, how seriously are you going to take it? Castle of the Mid-Arc Mage, is one of those wacky funhouse style yes. mega dungeons. You yeah. don't take it serious. Yeah. Which is why when I ran it, one thing that we always tried to do was, all right, we're ending the session. Mm-hmm. Party retreats out of the dungeon because it was mm-hmm. a drop in, drop out. Didn't always know if we were going to have yeah, the same yeah. players the next session. And we had the running gag of the town guards who would who were watching the entrance to the dungeon and yeah. had to get bribed to allow uh-huh. people in and stuff like that. And Again, how serious are you going to take it? Yeah, I, I mean, think that, Barrel, that Barrel that, Maze is a bit more serious. Yes, but yes. yes. That, that leads to one thing in terms of the in and out and starting and stopping in the same session was a, a type of hex crawl that I ch- checked out a while ago. It's, uh, it's the Western Marches thing. Uh, right. You ever hear that one? It's yeah. real different. It's like, <clears throat> and I've seen it done on, online because I was one. You read about it, it's like, okay, the party decides where they're going to go. They set the, you know, the, their their goals, their objectives. They head out. They they first they pick up hirelings or whatever. They head out. They do their thing. They come back all by the end of the session, and it allows for pickup games of whatever players show up that day or the ones that start. It requires you to be in and out by the end of the session. If you can't make it back before the session's over, you do some random rolls to see if you. You know, what happened to you on the way back kind of shit. Um, Jason Hobbs runs that a lot. I've seen, I've watched some of his games. Um, it, it seems to be that the technicalities of, I don't know, maybe the way he did it, um, but I think it's the technicalities of the style lend itself to, 
you never, it's not a campaign. You're always, if you're heading out of the city, you, you meet your, your six or eight hexes, you come back with whatever shit you came back with, right? And right. it builds every, every group that goes out, builds upon the knowledge base and the exploration and clearing of the map and yada, yada. But you, you just never feel like you're going anywhere. It's, it's like Vietnam ranged out patrols. You know, you're doing a five-mile patrol, you come back. You know what I'm right, saying? Because so, you, you, you don't have an overarching goal. Like in the Mega mm -hmm. Dungeon, you have, a, you have a goal. Yeah. yeah. You know, you, you're going in and you're trying to defeat stuff. In mm -hmm. Adventure Path, there's a goal. You're in yeah. this Adventure Path because you're trying to get to the end of it. Yep. Um, even with the episodic, there are individual goals for each of those pieces that mm -hmm. you're playing. Mm -hmm. But when you come to something that's more of the hex crawl sandbox, and listen, as an old school gamer, I, I've I've run it, and I'll be honest with you, it's hard to run, especially if you don't own, end a session with all right. And what are your goals for next session? Because yeah. if you don't do that, yeah, then as a DM, you're running by the seat of your pants, and that's rough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother and, just sent out a text on that. <laughs> funny you say this as i was sitting there chowing down a wrap before the show because i was running my ass off all day here um after work i'm sitting there you know chowing us down and my brother texts us so is anyone gonna answer and i'm like what the fuck did he ask so i scroll back up he asked us what our character's short-term goals were because he's running a sandbox in the city of Waterdeep, and we're heading back there from the jungles of chill and i guess he, he'd asked us a while ago i looked at it data blah 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 got shit to do forgot all about it so i'm like oh crap so i'm starting to respond to him what my guy's short-term goals are because it is it is a necessity for the dm if you're doing a sandbox, yeah. you throw out the five or ten options or whatever it is, they can do whatever they want, but you gotta have a clue. You can't wing a good sandbox. You know, you gotta have a clue what's no. coming. And, and and that's it. And for a good sandbox, you have to be prepped. Now, you can design your own. I if you're gonna do a sandbox, I would say uh Rob Conley's Black Marsh is an excellent option yes. if you want to get something that is uh basically free in PDF. Yep. Inexpensive in print. It's high quality, perfect for a hex crawl type of sandbox. Yeah. I mean, literally amazing work. You ran that for us a long I time did. ago, man. And I, I didn't, I didn't realize it was Rob's. I guess, and and then I, I was, I was uh, buying up a lot of Rob's stuff. I'm, I'm playing one of his games now, and I'm buying up a lot of his stuff. This and that, and I see Black Marsh. That's you. <laughs> it was like one of those moments. I was like, holy shit, this is where I saw this before. This is excellent. Blah, blah, blah. You know, so I yeah, that, that, I, yeah, I, I ran, I ran that because when I came back to running games after uh, Greg Christopher. By the way. Yeah. For those watching at home, Greg Christopher will be the special guest for Ben, Mike, and I nice. uh, this Wednesday. Nice. Uh, Ambition and Avarice Second Edition is releasing. I play tested. Um, so it's going to be an interesting conversation to talk That's about cool, this new man. project. That's cool. But we burned Greg out on DD Next, the play test for yeah. 5e. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we had, a, we, we had a good group. And we didn't want to lose the group, but he needed somebody else to run a game. And I said, fuck it. I'll step up and I'll run. And I was like, we'll do AD&D 1E slash Osric. That's when I and joined we, you guys. That's yes, when I joined and, that and group. We did, and we did Black Marsh. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you right now, I, for a guy who hadn't run a game since 97, so I was away for probably about 15 years, yeah. I didn't do horrible, but I didn't do great. It was uh, fun, I did. You had a good time. Uh, it was, it was fun. We had a great group. Don't get yeah. me wrong. Yeah, that, that's, but there that's, are that yeah. there are things that I am disappointed in the way I ran it because I've learned things yeah. since, and I've learned from playing with people like like 
Tim, Tim Schwartz yeah, runs a, a, a great type of yep. uh, sandbox. It's not I, a hex crawl. Yeah, it's, I've learned it's a more sandbox. from him than anybody else I played with. You know, I, you know? I really have. Yeah. Yeah. He's so, a great DM and a great writer. I mean, uh, you know, we, we got lucky. We played with a lot of groups. I mean, we have played with Tim, great writer, great DM, really creative. Matt, uh, Matt Jackson, you know, uh, he great fucking maps. Rob Connolly's Black Marsh. Rob Con Matt, Matt does the maps by hand. The hat, the thatchers. Rob does some of the best overland mapping I've ever seen. Oh my god! In, in, intense. He he does shit that he's a computer guy. He does shit that nobody else except maybe Alyssa Faden or someone. But she does it by hand. He does this stuff on a computer with the programs, and he comes out amazing. He's working on some shit now. That's gonna blow the fucking minds off the people in the OSR. I, I can't wait till it comes out. This this shit he's doing. He's he has the technique. He's grabbing from all over real geographic areas, and he and he works it into his actual maps that he's doing. Or real ones, all like Google mapping it around. Oh my god, incredible! Yeah, incredible shit. Uh, listen, you and I are are blessed to know a ton of talented individuals. Yeah, and um. You know, it, it, it's it's one of those blessings that you're like, wow, if I didn't know these people, I wouldn't have half the gaming abilities and skills that I've yeah. learned over the years. Yeah. Because yeah. a good game master, even a good player, learns shit from those that they see around yep. them. Yep. And, yep. you know, not everything that another GM does that, that is excellent is going to work for your style. Yeah, yeah. But... Man, there's nothing yeah. like seeing a, a, a great DM at, at, at work because it becomes yeah. immersive. Yeah, yeah. Um, James, James Shields running his uh, Star Wars D6 at North Texas. Man, it became immersive. Wow. Real quickly. That's awesome. and, and that's the dice became secondary. Yeah, yeah, and that's, yeah. yeah. And that's another, that's another reason why uh, I, I thought of a project that myself and Ty Beard have been tossing back and forth about using the open D6 system because it allows the dice to kind of fall mm -hmm. to the background yes yep. they 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 resolve everything but they also aren't in your face sometimes with osr games that are built off of the D, &D chassis yeah the dice get in your face yeah and yeah. um you know sometimes you don't want them in your face yeah so d6 is just kind of they have a way of of, of falling behind and just kind of like yeah everybody knows d6 is. i yep. don't your mind doesn't have to work and use d6 yes that's 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 what I like about the OSR for the most part. I mean, your mind doesn't have to work as hard as with five E or yeah. Pathfinder. I mean, you're getting old. Well, letting a lot of brain cells left. And <laughs> yeah, you know, you know I mean? it's, it's a compensation <laughs> that you got to do. Uh, By the way, yeah. Richard Brooks says uh, Greyhawk ruins. Uh, Order Greyhawk One is a great dungeon. I believe, if I recall right, that was for Second Edition, and I, I have so. it somewhere yeah, in my yeah. collection because I own all the Greyhawk stuff because I loved all the Greyhawk stuff, even when they had a fucking Burn yeah. the shit down, and yep. even when they had to publish stuff in Dragon Magazine because yep. they closed off yep. the uh, setting, uh, Greyhawk was always my first love. But there's a reason why Greyhawk was my first love. As much as I enjoyed the Forgotten Realms, the Forgotten Realms had a lot of little Easter eggs and a lot of little yeah. uh, adventure seeds placed everywhere. If your players read the fucking fiction, yep. and if your players read the products, yep. you couldn't run shit. Exactly. Because yeah, they always thought, well, it. that's not that's not what that's yeah. not how Cormier looks. Cormier is supposed to have guards wearing oh, red God. helmets and like fuck holy fucking yeah, yeah. dude. That leads a tiny bit of touching on the house rules a little bit because I'm setting my shit in the Forgotten Realms, right? But here I'm gonna pull it up real quick because what I have is uh all right. 
All right, here it is. Here's my, it's in the first fucking paragraph. We're playing in the Forgotten Realms. This is I hand these people as soon as we start. Very first paragraph from my house rules. We're playing Forgotten Realms. Throw out everything you think you know about it from the books, playing in other campaigns, computer games, novels, etc. Basically, make believe I made up my own homebrew world from scratch with a map and place names that are remarkably similar to Forgotten Realms. <laughs> Most times I'm going to keep it as it is. Lots of times I won't. You never know until you ask. Separate your player knowledge from your character knowledge. Then I go into your characters and nobody from nowhere outside of his little village, blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. And they also get into, there are no Harpers. Kelvin, Drizzt, Elminster, Illustrial, and her sisters never existed. The Zemperer, the Zentarum are a mercenary company, and there's some shady rumors. Nothing that ever happened in any novels ever happened in my game world, unless I said it did, which you won't know until you ask, or I tell you ahead of time. <laughs> so that, that's how I started you the know, whole thing and, with the Forgotten Realms. And Rose. that's part of it. You know, that that really, oh, oh, by the way, can Dragonlance be considered an episodic mega dungeon? Dragonlance <laughs> is an early adventure path. Yeah, it's the first things, adventure path. Had, certain things had to happen. When, when the end of the adventure tells you, you can't have, you can't have so-and-so killed, or Gold Moon must accomplish yes. this. Yeah. Um, I still remember that in one of them. Gold, Gold yep. Moon had to do something. I, remember, yep. and I was like, that's when I was like, that's it. I, I fucking yeah. can't deal with this shit. I'm not running any more of this. And my players weren't enjoying it, but we all enjoy yeah. the fiction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How you tell a story and how a story develops are two different things. Mm -hmm. People, you know, like, oh, are RPGs storytelling games? No. No. However, can an RPG develop a story? Yes. Certainly. Yeah. Certainly. It, but it, it, it develops. It evolves. It emerges. But if you have a story that must be told by the gameplay, you're not role-playing. Yeah, At least exactly. not role-playing how we expect. As yeah. I'm speaking for myself, and I'm sure Joe agrees. You're taking away the player's ability to make decisions, agency, make decisions, yeah. to have impact on it. Yeah. If, if, no matter what they do, yeah. B will still lead to C, even yes. though they destroyed B. Yep. C still has to happen. Then what? What agency did it have? None. Yeah, I literally have in my. I tell you, I, when I do the timeline thing, I'm serious. I have. I'm around year five or six of the adventure in terms of player time, and maybe two or three years into real hard time. Uh, in terms of the character time, we're up to six years, and I got the next five years broadly outlined, right, of the worlds of the big picture right. stuff and some regional stuff, right. So the, the history of the world is outlined broadly and regionally. And um, for the next upcoming year, it's even more detailed outlined, right? So I fill in the blanks on the outlines, but I, I look at it, Raymond Feist, who wrote all the magician's books. I was on a, a, a listserv with him back in the late 90s. He was really popular back then and more popular now. And he was very online, very much so. So he, was, he always talked about how he wasn't a fiction writer. He was a writer of historical fiction. Right, he wasn't a okay. fantasy writer, and so I, I thought he was full of shit and trying to be pretentious. But I'm fucking now look at it, and he's right. I mean, and that's kind of the way I run my games in a sense that I write the history, and the fiction comes out of the characters. Like I'm writing a history of the world, the broad outlines, and the fiction part comes from the characters' interaction. That's the story that develops with my world and my setting and what the hell's going on. And they can change the history. I don't, I'm not so stuck in my ways that I'm going to have my outline happen no matter what the fuck you do. That doesn't make any sense because they, they never feel like they've done anything that way. Right. You know? If you're not having an impact on the game world, or at least the area of your game world, um, then, then really you're not accomplishing anything. Yeah. And, I, I, and I understand that 
Listen, my old gaming group, they used to get annoyed at me because they, they wanted to go into a new town and have the barmaids all like, oh, look, oh, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah. and all that. I was always like, they don't know who the fuck you are from a hole in the wall. Yeah. You're in a new area. Yeah, and they're yeah. like, but we're famous. I'm like, you're famous where you were. You're not yeah, famous yeah. where you are. Yep. Once you impact here, then that, then that might be different. Yep. But yep. Uh, so uh, Frederick is saying Haven is an amazing city sandbox. Never heard assuming, of it. I'm assuming we're talking. Uh, that the only thing I could think of is the Lewis Porter uh, game about some city. I again, I don't, I don't know much about it. But uh, you know, let's see. Hmm. Uh, and Scottish from Better Games makes the most interesting domain sandbox. So these are things that folks, yeah. if you're listening at home, look it up, man, because it's, 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 we'll look it up after the. Uh, yeah, definitely. The I'm gonna, yeah, I've never heard of a couple of these things. The name Mark, of the sandbox by Better Games. I don't know. I would take notes, but my pencil broke earlier when I was <laughs> trying to write down a fucking phone number. So I, I, I although I do have a pen with my. Uh, my fidget spinner on it. Like, <laughs> nice. Oh, I, I, I'm so happy. Nice. Like, yeah. It, I would, I would, I wish I was still working. I would take this to work and annoy everybody. Have this sticking out of my uniform pocket. That would be, that would be awesome. Hey, Mark, waving them back at you, buddy. Hey, you know, here's one thing that I, I may have talked about before. I really, a pirate game. It's because Mark Hunt is saying, Better Games Crimson Cutlass is the single best pirate RPG I ever played, where you venture as a gentleman pirate in the era of exploration and reformation. I don't know about a pirate game in terms of mechanics, but the best pirate supplement I've ever had, used, or seen is was written for third edition. It was written by Green Ronin. It was the Freeport. Oh, Freeport. Book. Fan fucking tastic. Now their adventures, eh, whatever. I, you know the Freeport adventures. I didn't really care that much, except for the fact that they flushed out some parts of Freeport. But the setting alone, and the way the way they did it, they put out the setting book, right? And then they had like the D twenty supplement for it, the, the Pathfinder supplement for it, which had the stat blocks for everybody in the book. And so the right. book was the, the book was system neutral. You could do whatever you wanted with it, but then you wanted stat blocks for D twenty or Pathfinder, whatever. You had that, right? So it was really an ingenious way to. Do we lose Joe there for a second? We might have. So Haven apparently was part of the Thieves Guild series back in the day. Now I vaguely remember it. And Kars. Uh, Kars was a big Nicodema press from back in the day. That was uh, a very nice supplement, along with Thieves World. These are, these are great sandbox-type city environments. So let's let's see how long it takes for Joe to return to the stream. The silent, the silent Joe. Uh, Carl bought on eBay selling new old stock for Thieves Guild. See, now Thieves Guild, I remember buying some of the Thieves Guild stuff back in the day at the Complete Strategist and thinking that I could just find a way to plug it into one of my campaigns. It never, oh, Joe totally, totally bounced. We'll get him back when he, uh, oh, uh, we have the official response from Joe via text. Fuck. Be right there. So, I guess the internet's not being nice to Joe, so you get my my bad hair. God, I need a, I need a haircut. And I, there we go. There's the, there's the joke. I'm not Good Italian, but I talk with my hands. And so I'm waving my hands, and I smack the fucking power button on my goddamn desktop, and I knocked it <laughs> off. Like, what happened? Where am I? <laughs> I'm like Joe went. Joe went silent. Let's see Crap. how long this lasts. Sorry about that, guys. But anyway, Freeport. 
awesome thing. And I, and I tell you what, they're good people too, because I got a book that was a little bit defective. And I called up, I think Nikki Lindros was their name, married to Promise. You know, wasn't that her mm -hmm. name? And she cooked me up with a free copy, a free replacement. You know, I took her picture, sent it over to her. So it was kind of cool of them, you know. So good system. Well, anyway, sorry. And I think <laughs> that they've converted uh, Freeport to other systems over the years. Um, yeah. I want to say there's even a castles and crusades, but I'm not. I'm, I'm, I'm don't quote me on it because it's been years since I looked at it. for a while. Freeport was like the oh, you're gonna run like you need a city, and yeah. for anything third edition, old school. Uh, uh, all right, maybe even uh, you know one, one of the non uh, quote OSR D and D OGL engines. Yeah. They would have stuff out for it, you know. Yeah. I, I don't think they've done anything with it for a while. But I don't think so either. It's it's easily converted to five e. Jesus Christ, it's a simple thing. It gets your hard book back in publication. It gets the five e stats for it. I mean, it's how hard can it be? I guess they're making money on other things, though. You know, so whatever. Good for them if they are. You know, right? Yeah. I don't. Oh, yeah. Haven. Yeah. If you're talking about the same Haven that goes along with the thieves world shit, he, I, I just got into that. That's uh, Tim turned me on to that over, over COVID. Tim Shorts, and uh, he loved it. And I remember the books, from, you know, as a teenager, never read them. Another, another guy got me into D&D, &D, loved the hell out of them. And so, you know, with, you know, not going to bars, I bought the, <laughs> I bought the Thieves World books, and I eventually bought the setting, and it really is pretty cool. It's an old school feel, and if you read the books, it's uh, just a lot to go with there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 Richard, I'm going to tell you right now, I can never pronounce it. S4, Lost Caverns of... Soja Con Soja uh, I always used to go... <laughs> You know, like it was caverns of tea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yes, it was a nice uh, dungeon. I think it was my classic group. It would have lasted two sessions because we used to play like six-hour sessions. You know, so yeah. yeah. Now it would probably last uh, four weekly sessions because you know, we play game. It's like it's three hours. It's like all right, we got to we we all got to go to sleep. Everybody games late at night, right? Yeah. Everybody's yeah. gaming in the evening. Yeah. And if you're on the East Coast, your games are generally starting at nine nine thirty. Yeah. Because people on the West Coast have to get home from work. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, you know, funny thing. Even ten years ago, dude, when we were playing, when you were running a game on you know, Saturday nights or whatever, you know, it yeah. was uh, we played on midnight one in the morning. Now to play the midnight one in the morning, we're all passing out, yawning. <laughs> Just <laughs> it's beyond us at this point. <laughs> you know, ten years in age makes a difference. It the, does. The energy, the energy you had at like your young forties. Yeah. Is not the same that you have in your young middle fifties. You're like Hell no, hell no. It is I old, mean, and, and neither does the beer consumption. I went out for a few on Wednesday night with my brother, and you know, we've been a few and a few more. And the time I get home, I'm like, oh man, it'll be a rough morning. It was demolished me last yesterday. I got I was demolished. I went to bed last night at eight thirty. It was just to recover from the goddamn thing. Like, what the hell happened to me? <laughs> you know? <laughs> but you know, it, it's true. I mean, ten years ago, um, I would, even when I had to be at work at six o'clock in the morning, I yeah. wouldn't be I wouldn't be going to sleep till midnight. Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. now because of rage, I wake up at eight a.m. and uh -huh. I'm going to sleep at midnight. Yeah, yeah. Because like, I mean, we used to game on Saturday nights. I would not go to sleep usually before two a.m. Even yeah. if we weren't gaming, yeah. I'd be up uh, working on the blog or working yep. on a project or surfing the web or yep, whatever. Yep. And now it's just like. Uh, I don't think See, I one, remember one it. night we invited Raji to the game after we were done because we finished it like what one two and we yeah. invited him into our game hangout just to shit and bullshit and uh, 
uh, him and Greg Christopher patched things up, I think, at that point, or whatever the hell yep. this feud they had. And we yep. talked from like 2, 2.30 in the morning till 4.30 in the morning. You at East Coast time, our time. Not even yep. this time. So it's like, Jesus Christ. That's what we did. And then we get up next day, do whatever we got to do. Now, fuck. <laughs> oh, yeah. Go to bed at 5 a.m. You were still up by like 9, 9.30. Yeah, no, forget you know, about it. Day, now, if I go to bed at 5 a.m., it's like, Jesus Christ, man. 12, I think that 30, affects you'd be like, Oh. That affects the game that we do too. I think. I mean, let's face it. I mean, episodic things what we did when we were kids because we bought right. the module and we couldn't have the capability of anything else. I didn't even know what a campaign was. My brother kept talking about doing something called the camp. I didn't know what the hell it was. It never made sense to me. I learned that later on in life, in college or whatever. You know, understood what it, whatever. You know, pretty much through Dragonlance. You know, something like right. that. So then, my first campaigns were all railroads, but. You know, only now am I finally. I feel like I'm doing okay as a DM in the long term shit campaign wise, and and making things hang together on the big picture basis, and using you know real life knowledge and how things work and all that. You know, you do shit when you're a kid. It's stupid. <laughs> you look back and you you know it doesn't make any sense, right? But now it's kind of making sense. But I have the time to do it too. How many people have the time that I got as a 50 year old dude? You got family, kids, commitments, work, blah, 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 right? I mean, I got the time to do it, so I had no family, no kids, right? But it it tends to, I think your campaign that you do comes down to, number one, your capabilities, experiences at the end, what you're comfortable with, and number two, how much fucking time you got at the end of the day to get something together, you know? Yeah, I mean, and that is part of it. That's why things like the adventure paths for uh, Pathfinder, a well-written adventure path Mm -hmm. um, in the hands of a good DM, yeah. The players aren't going to feel like they're railroaded, even if they are, because you keep it moving. You, yes, uh, yes. Yeah, you know, and that makes it easy for the DM because you know where your party is going to be. You can keep one step ahead. Yeah, they can't go too far off off the rails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Episodic, you, 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 there's no worry about being ahead of the party because you're going to go adventure to adventure. This is what's next, and maybe, maybe you give them a, an opportunity. Oh, well, listen. Do you want to go for this red herring or this red herring? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, and, and I mean, yeah, you give them a choice, but how much of a choice is it, really? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah I think that Tim right now is doing a master class in like uh, in a city adventure, which is maybe another subcategory of of any of those kinds of adventures. What really, you know what I mean? Because you do mega dungeon city, do episodic in a city, you could do hex crawl in a city, really, in a weird way if you want to, but. Right. What we're, what we're playing now, and he gives Rob Connolly all the credit because Rob did uh, a majestic Wilderland or the uh, the City of Visual Overlord, tons of city adventures there for his guys over the last thirty some years, forty years, whatever. And what Tim is doing is he has a uh, city of scorn, not that big, you know, thousands of people right. though, a lot to it, factions, powers, but it, it feels intimate enough that you are in an actual city. And what he did with, well, with my guy, at least we were doing a lot of one-on-ones over the past year, once in a while, eh? once a month, maybe twice a month, if we were lucky, we get a one-on-one session. And, and I really developed the shit out of this guy. After a year, he got to level two, you know, after maybe 15, right. 20 sessions, gives you an idea, you know, of the development that went into it. And he's just a scavenger. He's a scrounger. He's a thief, but he ever does thief shit. He just looks for scrap metal, makes stuff. And he gets an adventures along the way. And it's just been so much fun developing the nitty-gritty of a guy. I think only Tim and I like that level of nitty-gritty, the people that I know. I mean, just just what does it cost to live and how much scrap does he get from this junk pile and who does he know with the, the local watering hole? And he has a fucking day job. He's a sewer worker. He has a fucking day job. He was designed around a, a goddamn folding shovel. You know, this whole adventure, this whole guy's class. And so 
so we got this level of development. Now, what he did with other guys, because he brought this guy into his big city campaign that he just started, right? He says, right. I have Snickle in there. I said, yeah. Snickle, by the way, named Matt Jackson's favorite character. And Matt Jackson hates gnomes, so I named my gnome Snickle. <laughs> Man. Anyway, <laughs> he brought the other guys and the other few guys into the game, and he ran some individual sessions with them to give these guys a background in the city. So the city feels like a living, breathing place to all of us already before we even met each other, right? We all come together for common purpose within some organization that we're working for. And we have developed contacts, connections, knowledge, not just a knowledge role. Do I know any bartenders in town who might know this? No, we know the bartender because we role play with the guy, right? And so we have this knowledge of the city that's all different and we could break up and do some investigation and do what we got to do separately, reaching out, using our own contacts. Then we all come back together and do the big adventure. It's goddamn fantastic. I mean, it's like, like you're saying before, you learn from the best people who DM, you learn everything you can from them, man. It's been fantastic. Well, and here's you know? the thing too, running a city adventure <clears throat> or running a, a city sandbox, it's what mm-hmm. you're, you're basically talking about. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It can be a lot of fun, but it requires a, uh, a highly skilled GM because it does not just the, you need to be able to improv and you yep. need to be able to improv and keep shit straight because the moment yep. you don't keep shit straight, your players will call you on it immediately. Yeah. Trust mm-hmm. me, you mm-hmm. might think. I mean, uh, there, there's a reason why when when I was uh, GMing and I was kind of doing a lot of improv, I would reward my players for writing up the session and sharing it. Online, and the reason was because having three, four, five players sharing stuff for XP meant I got to see the adventure through their eyes and say, Okay, I thought this was a throwaway character that I threw out there, but all of them are talking about this encounter, yeah, yeah, in the city. Well, now it isn't a throwaway encounter anymore, no, obviously. Yep. So, that to me is a tool that I have used frequently, uh, to, to get really good feedback from your players without them necessarily doing it as feedback. That makes mm-hmm. any sense. No, yeah, it does. It does. I, I was blown away by I went through all the list of people and contacts because I, I keep track. I take notes in the game and who I meet and where and their names and what they did. And and just me taking keeping track of that, just gotta be 50, 60 people that we've done I've dealt with in some way or another over the past year. That poor fucking Tim. So I gotta keep all that straight in his head all the time. I can look yes. back at my notes and say, Ah, there was this fucking guy I gotta go see, blah blah blah. And I say, Tim, I'm gonna go see Pete the Smith. He's like, and Tim's gotta know who the hell this is, his personality, his background, our past interaction, any interaction he may have had with the bad guys or his characters or anything else in the world, or any of the other guys in our group. And that has to be all in his head all at the same time. That's the hardest part of a city of a really good city campaign is the knowledge. You gotta know that place, you know, uh, backwards oh, and forwards, you know. You know? And when your players start to know the place better than you, it's time to get them out of the city. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. And, you know, I've, like, there are cities that you can run that your players are never going to learn. Waterdeep is so fucking huge that your yeah. players will never learn it. Yep. Um, but something like Lankmar, which I remember running back in the day, was small enough that your players could start to learn the city probably better than you and that's the time to get them out there adventuring. Mm-hmm. Because you as a as a as a GM or a DM, as a good general rule, if you don't know the immediate setting better than your players, you got to move to setting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, you just get, you got to keep them off off guard a little bit. It's just the best way to run it, I think. 
I, as long as you, well, <laughs> that's the hard part because the players are going to sit there and obsess over the shit, right? They're going to sit there and talk amongst themselves like my guys do. They're always texting each other, goddammit, trying to trying to make plans, figure out what's next. And it's good because they give me ideas of what to do next and what they're interested in. Always listen to what they're interested in, right? right. But at the same time, you know, they're talking about shit uh, that that they think is important that you, like you said, you may not think is important. Next thing you know, uh, they bring it up. I'm going to go to Pete the Mailman. I'm like, who? What? Fuck I'm who knows Pete? Throwaway guy. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's that's why I'll be honest with you. When I if I am improving characters and, and Joe, you know me, I like to play with voices. Yeah. I like to make a note as to what kind of a voice I was using for because if I use the wrong one, mm-hmm. the players will tell you. Wait, he sounded Irish last time. Now why does he sound like he's Asian? It's like oh truth. <laughs> I I don't I, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I've been drinking. Um, I didn't take the proper notes on that one because little things, little quirks. I've I've done facial tics for certain characters to yeah. make them more memorable. These are little uh, tricks of the GM that I, I learned at, at actually I think at one of my uh, games at Gen Con back in my uh, one Gen Con I guess it was ninety three ninety four the. Uh, we had this uh, one uh, game master. The first time I actually played with a, uh, under a, a female GM, and uh, she was very big on describing senses, what you smelled, mm-hmm. what you mm-hmm. heard. And at first, I was like, "Oh my god, this is fucking annoying." And then I realized, wait a second, if I allow myself to actually experience what she is explaining. The depth was there. And then I was like, well, she's doing a facial tick that she didn't have herself yeah. as an NPC to make it more immersive. And you, these are little wow. tricks that you can pick up. And I remember, I was very impressed by that. So I like, uh, even if you have a big city, you don't have to be adventuring in the whole city. Like Tim has scorn. I don't know how many, but four or 5,000 people, maybe. I, I'm, I'm, you know, but we, we know little quadrants. We know little sections of town. Like my guy lives in the tenements in the poor section. He knows the bar. He knows some, some of the sewers. He knows where to go to the marketplace, but he doesn't go any other places in town because that's his area, right? And it right. reminds me, I've been, I've been Googling some because I remember a quote from, you know, Charles Bukowski. You ever hear that guy? No. He's the poet laureate of the, of the lowlifes. <laughs> he's uh oh nice. Guy, he's a hell of a dude. I'll give you some. I'll give you some books on him, man. When we, next time we meet together, uh, we're right. gonna have our big meeting coming up. We won't talk about it yet, but yeah. Um, he he uh, he was uh, drunk. He was he was a hardcore alcoholic, and and everything he wrote about his in his poetry was uh, horse races, boxing. Uh, shithole bars, tenement houses, hookers, you know, and you name it. That was his, it was his environment. He, he, uh, th- there was a couple of movies made about him. Um, uh, basically he wrote a book, Ham on her. Anyway, his quote that stuck with me all the time about Los Angeles in a 19, I'm looking at Wikipedia for this because I finally uh-huh. found it. In a 1974 interview, Bukowski said, you live in a town all your life and you get to know every bitch on the street corner and half of them you already messed around with. You got the layout of the whole land. You have a picture of where you are. Since I was raised in L.A., I've always had the geographical and spiritual feeling of being here. I've had to learn this city. I can't see any other place than L.A. 
that's that's his thing. That that was that's that's what I want to create in a in a city adventure. You know, where you know every gutter. You know that this one clogs when it rains. You know right. every detail of everything. You know Sally the 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 you know streetwalkers up there and she's only there on Thursdays and how come she's there on Wednesday and you made to talk to her you know it's stuff like that I want I want to know I want to know everything and I want I want that level of immersion you know to me that's the key to a good city and you don't need to have a city of a million people even within a city of five thousand people all you need is ten blocks you know for that yeah. level it's like you know you walk the beat in, in you know in Hunts Point for fuck's sake you know oh, <laughs> you know what I mean so you know the fucking area. Oh, that I, place. I, I knew. I knew the pros. I mean, yeah. like, you, you yeah. knew the pros. Uh, you, you knew some of the low-level, uh, mm-hmm. you know, drug dealers. Um, you know, and you you, you develop your informants. Yes. And, uh, yes. Uh, and we did. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and and some of them, you know, you didn't necessarily know by their direct name. You knew them by the name that you did, like the the training hoe. The yeah. one, that, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the older woman who took in all the girls that came yeah. in and gave them the basic life lessons of this is going to be your life choice. This is what you got to do. This is what you got to watch out for. Yeah. Um. Actually, she was. Uh, there's an article written about her. <laughs> wow, uh, that's cool. Uh, man. Yeah. If you if, if if any of you get bored, go to Saturday Night Special Night spelled as we would spell it K N I G H D. Uh, blogspot.com, which where I did a lot of my. That's uh, right. You used to do your police writing back then. I yeah. forgot about that, dude. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I, I do, uh, I, I do link some articles too, and uh, the, uh, the training hall was one of the ones that, that came up. She put her, uh, her daughter through college, working the streets. Wow. So yeah. I mean, God bless. Listen, these are not life choices that you would make for yourself or, yeah. or, or your family or friends, but. Yeah. You gotta do what you gotta do, man. No judgment. But that's it. But that's you know part of I mean? the reality too of even our uh, even our escapes, right? Like, yeah, we these these would be throwaway characters otherwise mm-hmm. until you give them a little hook. It's like, well, no, she's not just a prostitute. She's the one that takes it upon herself to give these girls an orientation when they when they hit the streets yeah. of how not to get killed, yep. and how not to get beat up, how not to get raped. Yep. She she takes it upon herself. She didn't get paid for this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know she was like a, a, the mother, and um, you can easily do that in your own campaign, and you'll be amazed if that became a source of information. Somebody like that, your players will go back. Well, because they have depth. A yeah. lot of times our NPCs don't have depth, and that is why they are one trick ponies. And you, yeah, you, yeah, you don't go yeah. back to them. But once you give them a little depth, your players will. Latch on like a hound. Absolutely, yeah, especially if you have multiple interactions. That's where the depth comes from. The finding out about them. You're sitting there talking to the bartender, not because you want the lead or you want the information about the whatever, but you're just talking to the bartender. See, this requires the city adventures necessarily require characters who like to role play a lot. You know that there are some times where I'll play with Tim and we'll just three hours of role play. There's no fucking shit happens. You know what I mean? And, and that's fantastic to me. Now, if you want an outside the, an out of the box city setting that you could steal. There are two things that all you got to do is watch fucking TV, right? If you ever watch, 
these two different series. One was on each, both on HBO, I think. One was called The Deuce. It was about the Times Square area, The Deuce, in the in three different time periods. I think the early 70s, late 70s, early mid, and then late, early, uh, early 80s. And over a period of time, they followed these characters. Each season had a different, of three seasons had a different time period. These characters were fucking real and raw, right? You could steal right. every goddamn one of them. The other one, The Wire. I don't know if you ever seen that yet. I've been talking to you about I've that heard, thing forever, I've dude. Heard, you know, I've heard <laughs> another friend talk to me about the wire, and that's yeah. like, I've never sat. Down. I got to sit down. And oh sit my god, down. Eric, you'll love it, man. You'll love it. It's the police and everything else. I mean, the characters in that thing are so fucking real and raw. And uh, the other guy here is uh, who is it? Mike Saint Hunt. Uh, Mike Hunt is saying. Mike Hunt, yes. Uh, yeah, a fucking Lankmar. You know, Lankmar is the shit when it comes to a city. I think. Um, Lankmar is, is, is an amazing setting. Oh, John Miller, I'm sorry, I was saying it. Um, right. Lankmar, if you read the books, you have an, a level of immersion and understanding of how the thing works, right? You got that Bukowski level of I know every street corner and you know that kind of thing. And then if you have the books, the second edition Lankmar is the best version of it. I, I, I bought the DCC, the new one that came out that they published. It's right. good, it's good, but I think. You know, it gives you more detail and it keeps more to the books and it gives you a lot more info. But I still think the second edition, the AD&D version, was the best. You know, I, I really do. And nothing against well, DCC because that's really great I, stuff in there. You know, I, you know what? I, I think that the DCC one has more story hooks if you want to yeah. get inspiration from it. Whereas I think the AD&D version is a bit easier to handle and run as a GM. I agree. But I think it's a bit more bland. So I, yes. I think a combination yeah. of the two would be would be fine. I, I, mean, yep. I, I, I ran like I ran Sanctuary from Thieves World. Yep. Um, that was a great, great sandbox. Sanctuary, style you're right. It's not Haven. I misspoke before. My bad. Well, Sanctuary was Thieves World, wasn't it? Right. Well, no, Haven was Thieves Guild, if I recall. Oh, okay. Thieves okay. Guild was that other system that was all about just thieves. And okay. if you don't want something that was IP that was created for fiction like Thieves World, Kars, also by Mickey yes. Press, yes, was I had that. an Oh, Kars was fucking amazing. And I had that in print. Piece it. You can still pieces of that and throw it into any urban environment. Yeah, yeah. And it just goes so fucking yep. well. Yep, yep. It's a it's an awesome thing. I, I managed to pull that off, and when I uh, I got a a huge haul from a from a store that was like in the back corner in a box that nobody wanted. I'm like, oh, give me that hundred bucks for like probably what's worth five grand right now. <laughs> you know all this shit I ended up with there. Um, yeah, well, it was go. fantastic. It was fantastic shit. I ended up with that McKimia and Ray Feist wrote some stuff for McKimia Press back then before he was famous as an author, which is kind of right. cool, you know. And that's where he set his game, his uh, his fantasy books in. So pretty fucking cool, man. Really pretty fucking cool. You know, and it's it, again, I, I love cities and I actually enjoy running adventures in cities. It's just that I can I know people who can run a whole campaign in a in a city and I can't because uh, yeah. It, it, to me as a GM, the amount of moving parts so yes. close together is difficult for me to maintain my ability to keep the players immersed. Also, because, you know, the don't split up the party goes out the window in a fucking city because everybody's like, well, I want to go to the... Uh, uh, I want to buy potions. Well, you know, I need holy water. Well, I need to get scrolls. Yep, yep, I yep. need my armor repaired. And everybody goes off in fucking different directions. And now it's yep. like, yep. God, 
You got to, yeah, you got to like that kind of game because that's definitely what's going to happen. Tim is running us through it, and we had an objective. And since we all had different backgrounds and different contacts and different levels of knowledge about the place, we all said, "All right, I'll go here because I know a guy. The other, I'll go here because I know a woman. I'll go there because I think I can figure something out at the bar. I'm going to go scope out the." And it was this boom, and Tim's like, "Fuck." <laughs> <laughs> you know, we're all gone, but it worked out because we all came back with the interesting knowledge. You know, John says yeah. he's campaigning for an OD and D Lankmar campaign. It's helpful, no problem, man. I tell you what, DCC's um, Lankmar adventures were extremely helpful. I think there's about ten or twelve out right now, as of right now, and yeah, they will flesh out more little sections of the city and give you ideas and plot hooks. So you I'm going to make another suggestion. Um, I actually, oh god, I'm, it was this is probably about two or three years ago, and I went through it in like a fucking single sitting. There was a Lankmar graphic novel. You can grab it on uh, Amazon. Really? I, yeah, I believe... Uh, I, I want to say Roy Thomas wrote it. Roy Thomas would do all the Conan stuff, too, yeah. for comic books. But uh, it was extremely well-done, nice adaptations of the original stories, which I haven't read in years. But... It really captured the characters. It captured the whole city. Yeah. So you if, and and sometimes the visualization helps. And yes, yes. Uh, I would I would highly recommend it. I think it'd be it'd be a good fun read to refresh your Lankmore knowledge without you having to go. And it, yes, all the Lankmore books read quickly. They are short. And I started reading that stuff in junior high school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I never but, heard uh, of it. You know. Uh, comic books, essentially, what you're saying, right? I mean, yeah, I'd never heard of a Langmore comic book. That's pretty cool. Oh yeah, no, it, I, I'm, I want to say probably Dark Horse put it out first. Right. Oh, here, here's the, here's the question. Then, if we're talking cities, um, just free flowing here, the ultimate. Do you hate it? Do you love it? Because I don't think there's anybody in the middle on this. Planescape, the city of Sigil, or whatever the hell it was called. What do you think? Oh, of you, you know, it, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> here we go. <laughs> yeah, it's different, right? I it's mean, different. The way it worked was weird because it opened up. You always had this sort of the the middle of, you know, the, if you look at the eighteen D books, we had all the planes of existence, the inner planes, the outer planes, you know, hell, Hades, all that shit, right? And then in the middle was the where you know, nothing existed. I think that's where Planescape was set, the city of Sigil, run by some the woman, Lady of Pain, or something. It, that was that was a hard setting to run, as much as was. I liked the idea of it. By the way, I, I don't see the singular compilation, and I see use prices for this shit for the comic books. It's fucking ridiculous. Really? You should have saved it up. <laughs> Could have retired with earlier. <laughs> well, I, I never had the individuals. I had the graphic novel. I'm just trying yeah. to, uh, yeah, yeah. you know, uh, find the graphic novel because you know it was. I, I thought it was well done, but I don't. I don't see the graphic novel. Huh. Up on Amazon at the moment, and that Same maybe eBay. I mean, something like that. You may pick it up on eBay used or whatever. If it's not, yeah, in yeah, yeah. Uh, the thing with Planescape is that uh, the thing that threw me at first was the jargon. You had to talk like you were somebody from I don't know 1830s England. I don't, I don't understand the lingo. I don't know where the hell it came from. But uh, given this, it was fucking inventive as hell. It was one of the most creative settings that. Um, was uh, TSR, I guess, put it out. What TSR ever put out? I think it was extremely creative and unique, and they were just pushing boundaries there, which I, I give them credit for. They weren't just copy pasting shit from one setting to another, you know? Right. Um, All right. You know? I, I, I'm going to stand corrected. The, it was Mike Mignola and Howard Chakin, uh, Chakin okay. that uh, uh, apparently uh, wrote about. Uh, yeah, I, did, I don't see the uh, individual graphic novel. Here's John and, Miller just said that. 
John Miller yeah. says, I just bought the Mike Mignola comic book from eBay, waiting for it to arrive. There was an old Harry Shaken one from the 70s. There you go. Yeah. There you go. It was really, it was a really enjoyable read, but I, there, was, there, was a, there was a graphic not because I got the whole freaking yeah. thing in yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And I don't see it. Oh, well. Yeah, that's cool. I, I wish you luck with the Lankmar campaign, man. I did post, you know, post stuff somewhere. Let us know how it goes, you know. Let it, you know I, I think, Eric, you're always looking for people to post stuff on your blog, right? You um, know? Guest posters or something I, I, like that. I'm, I'm always asked to take a guest poster. You can know, listen. We can reach out, tankarstavern at gmail.com if you have some ideas that you want to put up. I Sundays are already uh, I, I got a constant guest poster with Chris Doggill. Um, he's taking the reins on that. Yeah, yeah. I, I like to give additional voices a voice out there. Now, John Miller had a question about. 1600s underworld slang was that what now, it was? I mean, they talk about Berg and this and that. Okay, but there I, was, was a, language. There was, there was a Dragon magazine, uh, I think issues. I want to say late, late numbered like 68, 69 yeah. in the 60s. Uh, that had uh, thieves can't, and it was made so you could cut the damn thieves can't. You pull the pages out. And then you fold them, and then you cut them, and you staple them, and you get this book of thieves camp. All right, and it was That's a cool. lot of it was built, built upon. But you know what? Every occupation, whether it, it w w which deals with crime, whether it yeah. is on the law enforcement side or the criminal side, picks up its own vernacular. Uh, my job in the NYPD, you quickly learned about uh, skulls and weebles and. You know every, everything else. So, by the way, the Weebles were the heroin addicts because they, they never fell down as much as they wanted. <laughs> uh, skills were any 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 druggie that was obviously using drugs over sustenance, such like like food. Yeah, they were yeah. with like skeletons. Skeletons, yeah. That's funny, you know, man. That's funny. Vinac, the, you know, cr you know the criminal the criminal people. They'll have their own vernacular, and it'll change based upon the gang. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's true. So thieves, thieves can't is a weird misnomer in D and D. It's like all thieves everywhere share the same language. Well, that doesn't make any sense within no. a city block, within it, within within a an area of town. Associated guilds maybe share the same things, but you want to keep your shit to yourself because you want to be able to talk about stuff in your own code that other people don't understand. Right. Why would everybody in the whole world share the same goddamn thieves can? It doesn't make any sense, you know. Right now, see now, just to point something out, like. Uh, 10 codes are something that's used almost universally in law enforcement, at least in the United States. Yeah. But every department has their own their own 10 codes. What is mm -hmm. a uh, a 1013 in the NYPD, which is an officer getting their ass kicked and need immediate assistance, could be uh, a commercial burg out in L.A. I don't yeah. know what their 10 code is. Yeah, yeah. So what happened is, after 9-11, when pretty much every law enforcement agency... In the northern half of the of the country, the Northeast arrived in New York City. Um, yeah. They realized that they couldn't speak the same language. Mm -hmm. Nobody was and and why do we use ten codes? Because everybody has scanners, yeah, and you yeah. don't want people necessarily listening in and understanding what you are talking about right yep. away. Yep. So you don't go central. Uh, you know, I I have uh, you know a commercial burger education. Be advised, I have a 32 in the past. Well, if you don't know what the NYPD is talking about, you don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if Chicago shows up, which like they did because they checked in with me on the night of September 11th, their emergency service unit equivalent, um, 
they don't know our radio code. So what the government did to get inter uh, interop whatever operability or something. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So it was for Hurricane Katrina, mm -hmm. where even the NYPD sent uh, people down to Louisiana to help. Mm. They put a system in that did away with the radio codes in those circumstances. Yeah, yeah. Basically, you spoke in plain English, yeah, yeah. so a different agency yeah, yeah. could work as one. So yep, now, yep. does that? So now, think about it. If your thief comes from, I don't know, Waterdeep, and now yeah. you're in Cormier, yeah, and you're trying to find a thieves guild, and you start talking your local cant, yeah, they're gonna look at you and they're gonna say, "All right, yeah, you you probably are a thief, but you're not one of us." Yes, and that you just proves you're not one of us. Therefore, right. you can't be trusted. Right. <laughs> You know, uh, you're going to have to get your own membership here. You have to earn mm -hmm. your own trust yep. and learn our words. Yeah, yeah. Only if you're trusted enough to learn our words. Right. Why would we give away to a potential spy, competitor, whatever the hell? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, I can't think of Gary Gygax. He put out a lot of those books with Troll Lords. I think somebody wrote them and he put his name on them for the most part. I don't know. You know, but they were they were decent. I remember seeing him in Complete Strategist, actually, and I kick myself now for not buying them then because they're probably worth a lot of fucking money now, man. Probably. Um, uh, Mark, Dragon 66, you're right. And you know what? Dragon 66 holds the special place in my heart because it was the first issue of Dragon I ever bought. Nice. I bought 66 and then went back and bought issue 65. Uh, 68, 69, bought it monthly. After that, 67, I had to go back and find, and then started buying back yep. issues. Yep, but yep. 66 was my first issue. Nice. And it holds, it, all nice. my Dragon magazines, the fucking covers came off of the, I mean, they yeah, were beautiful yeah. like that, but they, they, they really did tear off that shit staple job they did, man. Yeah. You know, you it was know. nuts. It was nuts. You know, we didn't, we didn't touch on, we did a lot about world building and this and that and campaigns and history and yada yada, but we didn't touch on the house rule part. I think that it, that the first thing that comes for me in terms of house rules is an understanding that this, this, this sort of drives behind, this is the driving force behind my house rules for the most part, right? Is the setting is mine, the DM, right? The setting is mine and there's certain things that are setting related or certain things that are setting restricted that right. you're just not going to have, right? Just because you bought the player's handbook for 5e and it says that tiefling is a class doesn't mean you're going to be able to play a fucking tiefling, right? Um, certain races don't exist. Certain classes don't exist. Certain classes are modified. Um, and it's not because I'm being a dick, except for bards. I'm being a dick. Fuck bards. Oh, I, but, <laughs> fuck you. I know you didn't say that. But except for bards... I uh, I don't I, I look at the setting as sort of my purview and and certain things don't fit right because right. tieflings re relate to Asmodeus and warlocks relate to packs that those things will set a different dynamic in my world than I want right and it, the same thing goes for some like spells I don't I don't like fast travel I don't like the characters to have the ability to travel fast that's one of the things I liked about Lord of the Rings Gandalf's still riding a fucking horse it's still Shadowfax no less but it's still a horse he's not teleporting here and there right, right. And so I wanted to keep some of the flavor of that so you know teleporting is extremely difficult fast travels really really hard and expensive um, and only higher level guys can even make something and it costs a lot of money and time and so it, to that extent, that that drives the mentality behind everything. 
because it sets you have to first figure out what style of game you're running. And for me, it's always a long term game. Every time I start a campaign, it's going to be I'm thinking in my head, I'm going to run this for five years. Right. Yeah. And the players are going to get from level zero to fucking level whatever, retired at 25. You know what I mean? And so I always have that in mind. And so if I'm going to run something like that, it definitely has to be in a world that I'm sort of writing a big history of and controlling in a sense. That's what that's what drives house rules. I'm a big long ramble, but that's that's the foundation at least. See, does it make sense? <laughs> no, it makes a lot of sense. And and here's the thing I'm gonna say about house rules. I've I've used a lot of house rules in certain games, and I've used minimal house rules in others. You have to let your players know what the house rules are. Up absolutely, front. absolutely. I, mean, I am not consistent in my house rules. I mean, my next my next game is probably gonna be Swords and Wizardry using a lot mm -hmm. of. Stuff from the uh, basic fantasy RPG supplements, and um, I I'm asking my players, my old gaming group, from uh, we last played in March of '97. Yeah. I'm asking them, "Hey, we're going to do some VTT once a month. What do you want?" The four the four campaign types I I brought up, and I, I was told. Uh, so far, it looks like they're leaning toward a mega dungeon slash episodic. All right, that's which, cool. Which which is which Easy. is fine. Perfect. Yeah, perfect. Right. And and that's what I. But again, I need to know from them. And then when we do that, that first session, session zero, which, which I've always heard people go, session zero. I was like, what the fuck is session zero? Session yeah, zero yeah. is listen. What what are the party goals? I'm going to tell you. Yeah, we're going to do a mega dungeon still. What are your general goals? And here are some of the rules that you need to know. Um, yep. What, yep. Are, what, are, what are my house rules are, uh, for the most part, if you disagree with the ruling, mention it and drop it, and yep. then we will discuss it at the end. And if you are certainly right, I will retcon shit yeah, and fix yeah, it. Yeah. But I don't want to break the flow over uh, an interpretation of a rule. I'm using Swords of Wizardry that generally... It's simple. We're generally going to be on the same page anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's nothing that, you know, I, I find so game-breaking as that. Mm -hmm. I also have to, you know, I'm not big on on critical hit tables. I was when I was younger, yeah, but that was yeah. fun. Yeah. Uh, I am a firm believer in that critical hits hurts the fucking players more than it helps them because their damage carries over from counter to encounter. Uh -huh. And for the adversaries, they die in counter to encounter. Yeah. So yeah. the damage doesn't carry over. Yeah. So really, it doesn't help the players in the long run. I don't mind if, that. Fuck the players. If, no. <laughs> if, if I if I do allow it, I, I, I usually say it's maximum damage. Yeah, yeah. It, it keeps yeah. it within that 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 realm. Because remember, you got to use it on both sides. Yeah, I don't like I don't like fumbles. Oh, um, I do. I do. I love mocking. No, I fumbles. It happens. It happens one out of five times. It's just too often. Yeah. If I did fumbles, it would have to be, again, as a house rule. All right, you rolled a one. All right, now save versus polymorph or whatever. And if you make your save, you didn't fumble. If you fail yeah. your save, you did. Yeah, yeah. Just that what that one in five deal is one in twenty, that one in twenty one, deals. One in twenty, yeah, yeah. Five percent. It's just it's just too too fucking often for that to be happening. It, well, well, it's one in five. It's it's five percent for everybody else. It's one in five for Tim Shorts when he's a player. I'm about to say, so, Tim, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's Tim. That's Tim, true. I roll ones. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing. Tim, Tim, here, here's the D100. Where's your roll? One. 
Yeah, 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 yeah. I know, D-1001. It's amazing. He always says roll better to me in all his podcasts for a fucking reason, guys. Until <laughs> so you see what? this shit in action. I asked him, Tim, you rolling a D-6 or D-4? What are you rolling to get all these ones, man? <laughs> he has to play like RuneQuest or, or Cthulhu. We have to roll low on, on percentiles. He'll be amazing. He'll be amazing. You know, although he'll probably roll high on those, but in any case. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I mean, whatever you have, I, I'm minimal using my house rules. Now, now Tim, since we're talking about Tim, yeah, Tim will have very in depth house rules, but they are flavor house rules. Yes, I played a cleric, related, and they related. are setting related house rules, yep. like for classes. That is yep. awesome. It's fantastic. I like, I, I like that. That is that is great. I, you're not so much changing the rules, you're changing a, the, the flavors, and that yep. that's awesome. <laughs> Um, yes, I, I said I, that. Hold it, you pass right over that. Somebody just agreed with me and said, "Fuck bards." Uh, yeah, of course, I to you. That was a DM, Kurt. And yes. <laughs> Listen, there's a reason why I play lots of clerics because clerics are the closest <laughs> I can get to a fucking bard. Yeah, because yeah, they yeah. are jack of all trades in, in in the way we generally play them. <laughs> but uh, you know, if, if you're going to cut out classes, let your players know as you start to get. Oh well, I wanted to play a bard. Fuck bards! No bards in this game. Like, fuck, <laughs> man, what the fuck? Yeah, I had to you right know. off the bat. I do that, but the other class—it's—it's it's not only the classes and races. What 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 Tim does when he he does his is. Like I told them, I'm going to make a gnome up. He's like, well, I don't even have gnomes in my world. So <laughs> he created an entire type of gnome with a culture and a background and gods and and their particular traits. It's not your standard cookie-cutter D&D gnome, right? And so he went through the time and trouble to create this stuff and give me a whole background full of flavor. He wrote up, for every new character you run, he writes up three, four pages about your guy's back. You give him the basic, he'll give you the full in-depth stuff about him. And it's fantastic because you're starting out instantly immersed right right your guy may not last that long because it's tim's world well, the flowers kill your ass but you're immersed instantly in the world you feel like you're there in the place you know and that's i think part of the house rule goal is to is to give the players a sense of flavor like when i i ran a game a couple of years ago at a game store and I, you know i went in there and i was asked to the dude hey do you have run any games here and he's ah we got a lot of players i'm gonna dm like oh fuck i'll do it and it was 5e and so right Knowing how uh, my style of 5e is an acquired taste, I said, listen, have them email me, and I'll email them my house rules, and let's see how many people sign up after I see this. And then, if you actually understand, my house rules are now up for 5e as of the latest version, version uh, that I made up on June 4th. It's uh, 12, point, uh, 12 point text, uh, single space, nine pages long. So that's the five E house rules. <laughs> so and they keep growing. I mean, everybody knows it's a work in progress. I find some as you eventually as you get higher levels. That spell does what? All right, it works today. It ain't gonna work tomorrow that way. <laughs> exactly. Right. You know. <laughs> uh, my opinion on house rules, for me, if it's going to complicate the game, you really gotta think about it before you edit in. House rules should simplify play. Yeah. Or have or have a negligible effect on the actual gameplay yes. once yeah. they're enacted. Yep. If it's something that you know adds a lot of uh silly shit to it, it isn't worth it. The reason yeah. why it wasn't in the game in the first place. Yes. I mean that's yeah. the reason why I, I the critical hit charts that were like, oh whoa, these twenty things can happen. No, no, I mean unless the game was built for that. Oh, and by the way, I want to give a, a shout out for the shirt that I'm wearing. RPGs. RPGs on the beach. Nice. Um, these guys showed up uh, from uh, Hawaii to North Texas RPG Con. Nice. Now, yeah. Now this shirt was, I think, 
uh, build as a a gamer extra large, which meant uh -huh. like, a, like a triple or a quadruple X, and uh -huh. it isn't that big after washing. It must have shrunk about two sizes. <laughs> but uh, it's 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 nice and it's lightweight. You can tell it was for Hawaii because it's a very yeah. lightweight fabric. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to give them a shout out because I'm nice. wearing their shirts. I probably should. Nice, nice. You know, the other type of game in terms of uh, bringing together a house rule thing and also the setting thing, you run a lot of convention games. And coming up in, with uh, ShireCon coming up, by the way, this September, guys, sign up. We'll maybe see you there. Um, yes. But you run a lot of convention games. How much do you give a shit about flavor when you're running a con game? Very you, little. You care? That's what I figure because it's it doesn't matter, right? Your players are in there. I, I don't remember. I've run. I've been a member, you know, a player in a couple of years now, and I think if I f still live through this one with my guy, it means I hit second level. So I got one yeah. more coming up. I'm going to do this. God damn it! <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so well, anyway, yeah. I don't remember flavor that much. It was all just the thing in front of you, you know. Well, it, it, you're running a campaign game at a convention. No, you're running an episodic adventure. You're going to yeah. pretty much. Start the players off at the adventure. You don't worry yeah. about how they got together or whatnot. Yeah. Boom, 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 get them going. And there's a reason yeah. for it. You're on a, you're, you're on a time limit. Yeah. So yeah. with the convention game, you try to have uh, the minimal gameplay ready and expansions. Like, like depending, you don't know how different parties are going to work at a convention yeah. game. Like, you, you're a regular party, you're a regular group. You run that session with the, those sessions with them two or three weeks, and you know, yeah, you know how fast they go through things. It, you mm -hmm. know, at a convention, different groups run things differently as players. Yeah. Their pacing is different, and if you come with too, if if your adventure takes too much time to finish, you're going to be left incomplete. And if it takes a little too little time, they're going to be looking at you like, "Well, what are we doing now for the next hour and a half?" Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So. What I tend to do is I have the adventure that's ready and ready to go with a section that I can open up if needed. Yeah. Oh, they finished the main adventure? All right. Here's the secret the, door leading to five more rooms. Right. And they <laughs> yeah. play it out until they need it. And you know what? I, I, I already have sketched out, but uh -huh. probably not detailed out. I'm okay at improv. But if I don't need it, I don't need it. Right. Yeah. But that's what uh, con convention games are a, a, a different pace. And a lot of times with the convention game, you see the party is going a lot slower than you thought anybody could. And then you got to go, all right, yeah. how do I move up this encounter? Yeah. The final battle. I got to move it up because you can't leave people hanging. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? Yep. Yep, I agree. They have to fight the big bad guy at the end and get the get the big loot, or else they're going to yeah. feel ripped off, you know? But mm -hmm. it, that's the interesting thing is we're talking about older modules being designed for convention games, even I think against the Giants was, which would explain this, the uh, the hook in the published adventure was the king told you to go kill them or else he's going to kill you. Yeah, <laughs> it's like, pretty much. Well, King, if I could kill them and the king could kill me, that means the king could kill them. Have him go kill himself. What the fuck am I going for? You know? Yeah, well, because if you don't, you're going to get killed. So, yeah. The hooks in the early AD&D adventures. Now, this wasn't necessarily the same with the D&D adventures, but the AD&D adventures were pretty much ripped from convention games, and yeah. it showed. Yeah, yeah. You know, if, if your adventure came with free gens in the back, it's a yeah. good chance it was... It was uh, done for a convention. Yep, and they all did. 
they all did too back then. Although, yeah, they were kind of cool though. I kind of like the names. The names of the pre-gen characters were the the best part of the whole pre-gen characters. You know, especially the the Nolwish names, the Elven names, things like that. They were pretty fucking good, man. They're pretty good. Now, what do you? I know you don't do the criticals, right? One no. thing I do, I definitely do criticals. I got tables and all that stuff, but they're pretty simple, you know. I even right. got criticals for spell failure, you know, and so everybody knows what they are. But I think the main thing we're t- when you talk about the house was at least for the five games, it's it's not adding, it's not adding a fusion, it's taking away for the most part. Like I'm combining things um, and into good. one thing, and I'm taking away stuff, and, and you know that the players have to be ready for it, like you're saying, because. They got to know, like, they're going to come in and want to play a half-giant Titan-Bard-Dragonborn combo multi-class. I mean, no, that shit don't exist, man. Here's Multi-classing doesn't exist, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. They got to know how the re- roles are going to be made. You know, who's going to roll the search roles, things like that. You were the, you were the DM, right? They got to know things like, does resurrection exist in your world? If you're dead, you're dead. They got to right. know that, that adds to the stakes, right? Um, even the basics, do you roll for hit points the first level or not? How do you, you know... Uh, that oh, kind yeah. of shit. You know, you, you've got to know all the exceptions to the rules or all the modifications to the rules because that's going to give the guys an idea of their style of DMing. Uh, there was a guy who um, you had reached out to me. He was on your Discord, and he was asking for my house rules, and I emailed it over to him, I remember, a couple months ago. And he had said something back like, ah, that's the whole the way you talk is in the house rules. You know, you, you said that the Jota Lawyer style of talking or whatever, it comes through when you read the house rules because it's Most my voice. Been- must have you been know? Laramie. I'm, I'm not sure. Maybe. He's, and that's he, like, yeah, he, that makes sense. Laramie's like, I'm dying to meet Joe and sit down and have beer with him. <laughs> he was pretty cool. He liked it. And so I was kind of appreciative of somebody to read this stuff and actually besides me. But that's what I got to try to get across in the house rules is you got to know me as a DM without, you know, without having a session zero ever play with me. You got to know what you're in for, right? Not just in the rules, but in the style of the game. So the, even the voice of how you write the rules Will give the players a sense of your style of play, you know. Oh, definitely. definitely. So that that's that's kind of necessary, I think. And then everything else is, it's for me at least. My five E house rules are how to make it more old school, without the players quitting on you, <laughs> especially if they like five E. You know, they're, right. they're, oh, they're, there comes a point because I I went beyond that point with a couple of groups and they just kind of revolted and I had to backtrack <laughs> and bring it back to something they liked you it's know It's like I went too far Yeah, yeah too exactly far. Exactly exactly so you know it's little things like that and especially I think the big difference I have in mind is that they got to know skill checks and, and things especially when it comes down to social encounters you know you're not going to get an insight role to see if a guy's lying why would I go to all the trouble to talk in character, in a guy's voice from the bartender's perspective to you about blah, 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 blah for half an hour, and you're going to sit there and roll a die to tell me if I, all that was complete horseshit? Fuck you. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't invest all that time to, to, to do away with it with a roll. You tell me if you thought it was a lie. You know, little things like that is what I, what, you know, yeah. intimidation. You're not going to roll intimidation. You're going to stand up and say what you're going to say like a badass in character, and I'm going to use your charisma modifier and how cool I think it is what you just said, and then we're going to see if it works. <laughs> you know? Yeah, pretty pretty much, and, and again, for me, Five E does a great job in having a rule for everything that needs a rule. But yeah. to me, that is too many rules. Yeah, and and you know, again, that's why I say I could run Five E, but I've not invested enough to learn the system. But I could certainly yeah. play it. Yeah, I'll yeah. play it as a player because yep. I don't have to invest as much into rules knowledge as a player. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can be more focused on what do I need to run this character as opposed to 
what do I need to run the game and know yeah. every character class and every monster ability? And because you know what your knowledge level needs to be as a player is a lot more compact yeah. and focused than what you need to run as, as a GM to be an effective GM. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's another reason to hash, hack down on the 5e stuff. It just saves me having to know how warlocks work if I don't have warlocks in the game. You know what I mean? It, the right. little shit like that. It just, all right, that's one less thing I got to know because no matter how good a DM you are and how long you've been playing, when you jump into a system as detailed as 5e, it, it's the differences that get you because you know how it works in the nine other systems you've played, but you got to remember how it works differently in this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's yeah. not the rules that get you. It's the similarity to all the other rules that are going to get you, right? So that that's that makes it a little bit harder in a way, you know. Yeah, uh, no, I definitely. I that's kind of why I like the simple rule sets. Yeah, yeah. I even house rule the old school stuff though. I have uh, oh, you know, so the, I. the third edition shit or uh, the old the uh, OSE rather. I'll uh, I'll house rule it. Um, and just make it make it my own. You know, I want right. I want to try to. Again, it's not as much house ruling because there's not as much to that <laughs> to that thing, right? But you do definitely want to make it your own. One definite thing I always do because I think these suck in old school games is they have no chance of doing anything ever until they get higher levels. And by then, it's like, oh, geez, you're finally useful. You useful at ninth level, you know. But one thing right. I'll do is I'll say these start at first level in all ways except their abilities start at third level. Right, so you're starting okay. off right off with the bat with the third level thief abilities as a first level thief, and it just keeps going like that. You know, I was two levels higher, and sure then enough. what I'll do is whatever your ability score was. Let's say you got an 18 for your decks, and you're lucky, right? You got your 18 decks. You can put those points into you divide them up however you want into your thief scores, because the old school thing that bugged me at most about these was that they're all fucking the same. Some thieves are naturally going to be the cat burglar, climb walls type. Some are going to be the lock guy. That makes sense, right? But right. all thieves are the same, no matter what level you are, which doesn't. So I figure if you give them either their ability score or some multiple of their ability score to distribute amongst all their abilities, I know what you're going to say. What about here? No, no, it's no, not no, a D6. Wasn't that kind of how uh, 2E did it? 2E allowed you to... They did. They finally made it make sense. You know, it took like, several editions to get there. And you could customize it. But they still used, I think, a, a percentage. But um, I, 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 what I do is... If you could start off at first level with much higher scores in something, you know, and right. even even hear noise, like I consider as because it's a one on a D six or whatever. I say for every ten ability score points, gives you another one on the D six, and everything else is just percentages. So you're just dropping a that you know number equal one for one basis into your percentage, and that's it. So whether you do your full ability score or some multiple, like two or three times your ability score, depending on how good you want to make the thieves. That's right. that's that's how you start them off, and then they can go up from there on the standard progression. But at least start with a bonus. They start life out with a focus, which is makes sense because that's where people start out. If you're gonna be a first level guy, you say, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna be the fucking best lock picker in the whole fucking city. You decide that at first level, and then you work your way up from there. Which is why I think the points should go into first level. You know? Yeah, no, I'm not I'm not disagree. Good argument. Good argument. Yeah, yeah. 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 just think. There's some thoughts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What 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 house rules do you definitely do in every old school game? Any any particular thing for no, anybody? No, I, again, a lot of times my house rules have been I want to experiment with X. Okay. I oh I like this thing from uh, I, I like the look rules in DCC. How do I add them into Sword ah, of Wood Three? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know what? I I got a feeling that there'd be very minimal uh, house rules beyond maybe some extra classes 
Mm-hmm. For the uh, Swords of Wizardry game that I'll be running. Is it going to be Swords of Wizardry complete then? That's what you're going to run it under? Yeah. Okay. Okay. That's cool. I'll g- yeah. g- give them more options and I'll probably add in my Bard class from, uh, was it Knock Issue 6? Yeah. 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 So. Yeah. yeah. Any of these splat books define class as well. Absolutely. Oh, and by the way, we're going to go back to the Lankmark conversation we had earlier. The book that Nigel something, Niles something, Niles came out with, Nigel Finley. Nigel Finley wrote this book, Thieves of Lankmar. has this guy coming out of a sewer, I think, and he's got this octopus behind him, going to grab him back in, and he has this smile on his face like he fucking made it out. I think that's the cover. This fucking book is the greatest book on Thieves Guilds anybody will ever get. And it's based in a Thankmar Thieves Guild, but it's so adaptable anywhere else. If you got that Lankmar book for Thieves Guilds, you have all you ever need for any Thieves Guild thing anywhere. And if you combine it with the second edition, the Complete Thieves Handbook, you're set. Nothing else is needed. Those are the two greatest Thieves books ever, I think, ever Interesting. produced. Yeah. You ever see that one? You ever the, uh, the Niles? I don't, th- I, don't th- I, I know the name, but I don't think I have that book. You got to check it out, man. It's real. I've read it and read it and reread it. It was like one of the best things I ever bought. And when you're, your money's scarce when you're younger, you know, yeah. you want to make sure. <laughs> it was like I kept that, that. I got more bang for the buck out of that book than anything else, really. Nigel Finley was awesome. Yeah, I don't know what else he did. But that alone, yeah, that's worth the price of admission to this guy. You know, he was fantastic. What else did he do, Richard? Do you know? I, I never heard of the guy other than that. You know? I thought he was initially a Games Workshop guy. Was he? Okay. All right, that makes sense. Warhammer, I think he, right? Uh, well, I think that would have been. Uh, oh, is he Nigel Findlay, a uh, Canadian game designer? Yeah. Uh, going to going to Wikipedia. Oh, look at this! All right. Wow, he died young. Did he? Oh, died at age thirty-five and ninety-five. Really? No shit. He must have just come out with his magnum opus, and then he. That's terrible. I didn't know that. I'm fucking depressed. Uh, he guy. did articles in. Uh, in Dragon Magazine, Dungeon Magazine, uh, The Castle Guy, Tome of Magic, uh, Dungeons yeah. of Despair, Draconomicon, Ninja Wars, and Cult of the Dragon for Forgotten Realms, Greyhawk Adventures, uh, Additional Design, Fate of Istis, Cobra author, uh, wow. worked on Lankmar, Thieves of Lankmar, Ravenloft, yeah. Spelljammer, Roll wow. Age, Jesus uh, Christ, Shadowrun. What did he die of, man? This motherfucker was prolific. Uh, Battletech, Bloodshed, it's, uh, GURPS, Earthdawn, Primal Order. Holy shit. Jesus. Star Wars, the role-playing game, uh, the storytelling system, Torg, Underground, Whispering Vault. I guess he did not work on... Uh, just he had, he had the English-sounding names. So I figured he did. Uh-huh. He died suddenly uh, on February 19th, 1995, at his home in Vancouver, British Columbia. Heart attack at age oh. 35. Holy shit. What a tragedy. This guy had fucking talent and he had a lot of output in his young life. That's too fucking yeah. bad. That's too bad. You know, I'll tell you, that, that's it. When, when the good guns go early like that, Jesus Christ, man. That's terrible. But anyway, if you can get that book if for your Lankmar campaign or any, and it, it's adaptable to any Thieves Guilds. I've used it, information in that and ideas from that. And, from in every game I've ever run, it's been so. I read it so many times. It's like portions of the old ADD DM guide. It's embedded in your head. You read it so many times, and you don't know where you got it, but it just, you know, shit comes from there. You know, without even thinking about it. Yeah, that's nice. That's nice. ADD splat books define class as well. They did. They also added a whole lot of fucking crunch that broke games. But yeah. Right. Well, I, I think the first four splat books weren't too bad, but after that, once they got down to the 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 uh, the 
elves and dwarves and bards. Yeah. And they just they start breaking down, man. Once, yeah. once you got past the, the core classes, I agree. The, uh, oh God, who did we uh, spoke to? Uh, Steve uh, Steve Winter mentioned uh-huh. that I think yep. he was the uh, the uh, I don't know project manager for that line of books, and he was just like we were just told to put them out. Yeah. So that shit wasn't play tested. So Blade Singer, Dave, oh, if you're watching Blade this Singer. shit, you will never get a fucking Blade Singer again. There are no Blade <laughs> Singers and Swords and Wizards. <laughs> fucking, that, that was my last campaign before going into the before leaving the academy. What do you call it? it gish? Is that a gish? Is there a goosh? What the fuck is the word people use for the blade singer, the, the ultimate mage fighter guy? What, what is that I, called? I have no I, fucking idea. But I, I, yeah, I know. It was, oh my God, what a fucking game breaking kit that was. Yeah. 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 I never let him in. I, I got an idea what they were. I'm like, fuck you. He's <laughs> just not <laughs> happening. <laughs> yeah. I, Painful. Excuse me. I do try to use some of the stuff that I outlawed for players as a DM, though, for my NPCs. You know, that, right. that I think makes a lot of sense. Because Gish, yeah, it was Gish then, Judge. It makes a lot of sense because it's good stuff, but you, if if in the player's hands, it might break the game or the system. But I could, again, like I take pieces of modules, I take pieces of classes and combine them into other classes, right? And right. so. You know, it's not a standardized thing. That way they don't know what they're fighting. It's not in the monster manual. They haven't read all about it. And they don't know what's going to come at them, which is the best thing for to ever to have as a monster, you know, or an encounter or, or an enemy, basically, you know. Oh, definitely. Certainly. Again, keeping your players on their toes. That's the reason why Dragon Magazine used to have so many NPC classes. They weren't play tested, but they you didn't yep. need balance for an NPC class. You know? Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. You can balance it on the fly. If oh shit, this is gonna destroy the party. Tone, they don't know what it does. I'll just dial it back a little bit. In game, you can't do that with a player character class once it hits the game. Yes, it's there and it has to be all detailed, and they have to know what they're gonna do all the time. Yeah, yeah, you can't you can't dial it back. It's in their hands. No. It's out of your hands now. But yeah, with, yeah. within the context of a setting, I outlawed Dragonborn, Tieflings, and Cambians. Uh, for player classes, but I developed a whole lot of information, detailed background for them as NPCs that the players will encounter but never be able to play. And it, that, to me, right. is part of the flavor of the setting. You know, so while I'm I'm hacking out stuff with the house rules, I'm adding flavor sometimes to the setting with those hacks. You know, so that it, to me, it just it just adds to it. So I'll steal anything. I don't care. <laughs> as well, you should, man. As yeah. well, you should. Yeah. yeah. Speaking of stealing, what's up with the trove? <laughs> is it up still or what? Is going to go down? The, the trove is still down. Still um, down. I, I saw somebody sent me a, a screenshot of a or somebody. The, the trove is down because of uh, technical issues. Uh-huh. I think they're trying to claim that they're like changing hardware or software or okay. some. So, I so it's, it's not an FBI mass raid and. Uh, in- well, it's the <laughs> server it's in Sweden or wherever the hell. Iceland, Iceland. Iceland and here's yeah. the thing: Ice, Iceland is not part of the EU, uh-huh. so that's probably why it was in Iceland. Yeah. Um, uh, I, I, there's a rumor I am hearing that uh, from numerous sources that some uh, third, uh, a publisher who uh, did who scraped the serial numbers off of uh, a popular. Uh, I guess uh, 
Renaissance era setting game of, of fantasy stuff that was published uh, first came out, I guess, in, in the mid mid to later eighties, mm-hmm. and has been republished. At least, uh, I guess, new editions have come out. They made a lot of money apparently off of their clone of this, scraping the certain numbers off of it. It's not a D and D clone. It's not an OGL clone. Okay. And I'm not mentioning the individual's name because they are litigious, oh, and I don't have evidence to say that they were behind the taking down the probe. But yeah, yeah. Uh, the the rumor mill says that this individual is the reason why. So, huh. you know, if if you uh, if, if you remember the game that was a deal of the day on Drive Through RPG almost daily for like a year and a half. Um, this would be that publisher, but I'm not going to mention that. I don't even know. I don't, I don't I, have no I, idea. I'm, uh, I'm sure somebody, uh, yeah, somebody, somebody, uh, knows what I'm talking about. All right. Um, not a wolf. You're right. Not a wolf. Um, but similar, similar right. to a wolf. All right. <laughs> That's All okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. No so, need to get anything uh, yeah. deeper. <laughs> Those who but want to I, know can find out from that, I guess. Yeah, I mean, again, and and again, that is just. I've heard that rumor from multiple sources, but all I know is that those multiple sources got that rumor from one asshole. So who knows? Okay. I don't want again. I don't want to say, "Hey, this is the reason why," and then I'm wrong. But all right, all right. Yeah. Listen, the fact is, the trove is down. What I had heard is that a high-priced IP lawyer was hired by a publisher and uh, this high-priced IP lawyer got the trove taken offline. Now, I've heard the argument that, you know, to get stuff taken off the trove, you should be going title by title, not taking the whole trove down. Um, I'm not here to argue legalities. I'm not here to argue argue moralities of the trove. It's currently down. Yeah, yeah, and it's not there. Uh, the trove is not saying that they were down because of uh, of legal intervention. They're trying to say they're down because they're upgrading the system. Huh. Whatever. Well, look what Nunia just said. That person claimed the responsibility on Twitter. You might be able to uh, say the name, Erica. That's the case. Um, uh, you know what? I I, I am not going to say the name yet. Yeah, yeah. Check it out, though. You know, it might yeah. be able to. I might be crazy like a fox, but I'm not that crazy. Gotcha. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm just gonna say if it's up on Twitter, then then uh, fine. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. Uh, my opinion of the trove has always been: if you're looking for out of print material mm-hmm. that you cannot find for sale, uh, except as overpriced books on the aftermarket on eBay. The Trove is a great resource, and I believe that those books, as uh, a resource, should still be available. Yeah, yeah. And I would gladly pay for them for good PDF scans, but if there are no good yep. PDF scans, yep. Yep. Um, the Trove was an option. Yep. Would I use it for 5e material if I was a 5e player? No. Would I use it for a sort of material? No. But would I use it to find uh, even AD&D stuff? But maybe it's an old... Uh, Thieves World supplement that's no longer in print. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't have an issue with that. You know, I'll tell you, I, I've used, I've legit used it to preview shit that I've later bought. So for me, that is a legit 
I, I, you know, at least personally, this is a legit use of this thing. I, I used it. I bought the stuff. And I was thankful because I would not have bought the stuff had I not been able to look at the thing on the trove. You know, so some people made money off of this. Now, is there a couple of things on my hard drive that ended up there that, yeah, you know, I checked out, never used, and just kept for because they're fucking even deleted, but I'm not using it? Right. Maybe, maybe you know, <laughs> but, you know, it's well, not like it's taking money out of anyone's pocket because I'm not stealing from it. I'm not using it for any purpose, and it's not going anywhere. It was just a preview that ends up my hard drive, right? So, you know. I mean, here's the thing. I have a, I have material that I have found online that I am never mm -hmm. going to use mm -hmm. because there's a part of it's like, oh, I'm like a completionist. I bought yeah. stuff that I'm never going to use. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I'm by the way, I'm I am trying to find said said tweet. Oh, okay. It, okay. It, it is it is not easily popping up. Okay. Um. So I can't say for sure that uh, Two hands this kind of this ki this kind of business happened. Yeah, um, yeah. I, yeah, no, you I, definitely I, want to cover ass, man. You definitely want to cover ass. I, I do That's see nice. that there there are uh, places that are saying that this individual did do it. Yeah. But I don't see him saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, it was yeah. me, it was me, it was All me." Right. Okay. All so right. and then again, he. He tweets so often. Who the fuck knows how far back he tweets as often as Gareth Garka does. Really? Apparently. Okay. At least his tweets are game related for the most yeah, yeah, part. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But holy shit, there's just too much to go back on. Wow. Well, maybe somebody uh, uh, sends you an email with the link if they know where the hell it is. That might be. Yeah, you, know, you know. That might I, be something. It'd be, it'd be interesting to see again. I'm. Uh, I am. I am not going to point direct fingers at, at mm -hmm. anybody. Mm -hmm. You know, without knowing for sure. Absolutely. So, hey. Epi, welcome. Yes, you are late. Well, you know, Epi's here, which means we got to fucking wrap the shit up, damn it. No, Is it I fucking... Mean, yeah, it's almost 10. Holy Christ. Yeah, yeah, we're getting there. You know, I, I went to the bookstore today for the first time since COVID. I went to Barnes & Noble. And uh, I, I, was, I went for a specific book. And then I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm checking out the D&D section, right? Right. So I went there, and first of all, I had to pass the fucking comic book session. I know they call it graphic novels, but I still call them comic books, right? So right, and or comics, I even comic books. But anyway, I passed that section. You had to pass the the manga section was literally four times bigger than the comic section. Oh and yeah, it's massive. This this I couldn't believe how much shit was there. The manga section, it's like overtaking comics. I know. That the comics industry put out, it's like, oh, comics is doing great. Look at sales, how far they're up. And like most of that shit was because of manga. Manga's taking over everything. It's comics are getting stupid. Every, you know, I really follow some of those same YouTube channels I do. They're getting ridiculously stupid in their their take on things, and it's all about agendas and stuff. But and then I, had, I said that was just in passing. I was blown away by the size of manga compared to comics. It never was that big five years ago, for what I remember. I get to the D and D section, right? Uh -huh. D&D had pretty much an entire shelf full. Now, it used to be bigger, of course, but, you know, it's not that big. But they had all the 5e stuff there, right? And it, all the all the shelf full of all the 5e modules and adventures and Fandolin and Essential Set, this and that. And then the shelf next to it was all the rest. <laughs> you know what I mean? Cyberpunk, Pathfinder, all the rest of all the games. And I was like, Jesus Christ, this is, this is sad because I, not too many years ago, just go back to your Pathfinder discussion and that professor dungeon master talked about your pathfinder discussion and uh if you guys right. check this channel he's pretty cool um 
Oh, definitely. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, Dungeon craft is his channel. But anyway, he was mentioning your stuff too. It's a good shout out for you. And anyhow, the Pathfinder game, there was one copy of the Pathfinder 2E rulebook. There was a bunch of old overstock of the first edition Pathfinder shit, a couple modules, not even a full adventure pass or anything. Like they didn't even make a point to stock the, the newest stuff, you know? And it was like scattered and looked like it was, it looked like a picked over section that was this is the leftovers, you know? It's like nobody gave a fuck. And then it was all the rest of it. So in terms of 5e, man, just if you look at shelf space alone, they're the fucking champion. They really are. They 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 own the shelf space, just like they own the percentage of users on things like Roll20 and whatnot. They are, they are the champion. Pathfinder, it's a pale... Oh, here's here's what I'm looking forward to, Eric. When we do it to complete what? strategies later, later this month. Oh, you want to compare Pathfinder to New 5e? I do, because do you remember how big of a section they had for Pathfinder a couple years ago? Oh, my God, it was, a whole, it was a whole Massive. fucking aisle. I couldn't believe it. It dwarfed the 5e shit. Dwarfed it. They had so much shit at there. I, I was just blown away. And this guy knows Lisa, who runs you know, the owner of that. We've, we've talked about it, because I said, hey, Lisa, said, I told her, I posted on EN World that I was going down there. I love the place. And she says, oh, say hi to so-and-so for me. And I, so I said, hey, Lisa said hi. He, she used to always stop in there all the time, the one who owns, you know, Paizo. And right. so he knows her personally. He's stocking her shit. He knows her to have a relationship. And they had a massive amount of stuff. I'm curious now how much shit they're going to have for Pathfinder. I really am. You know, that's something I'm going to have to take pictures of. Yeah. Because it's something that I'm going to be able to uh, say, listen. Yeah. You know, to, to, to complete, has that, that's how they make their money. They're going mm -hmm. to sell and give shelf space to what is making them their profit. Yeah. Yeah. And that is, is certainly going to be a, a, a telling sign. Yeah. And trust me, New York city where you're paying, he told me one time how much he's paying for rent. He, oh, I mean, he told me, I, I believe I'm pretty much remembering the number accurately. It was like 20 grand a month or something on rent in that fucking place. Right. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. And so New York city goes, don't forget he's right near the fucking empire state building. This guy. Right. And he was telling me he was bitching about having to get like terrorism insurance because the Empire State Building is, you know, terrorist. Target, you know, yeah. The, yeah, target. So he had to get terrorism insurance on top of it. So that's another fucking charge. Now, that, I, I'm pretty sure those are numbers. But, and he told me, so I figured it's safe to tell anybody else. But I'm like, mother of Christ, this, that's expensive. The, the, the amount of shit he's got to put out there with his limited space. It's, it's the mecca of old school, all D&D game stores in my book. But limited space. So every inch has to count for a certain amount of money right. in sales, right? And that limited kind of a space. So what he has for a display is going to be very telling. It's going to be extremely telling, you know, what he has up there. I'm, I'm curious what it is. Yeah, because oh, you know, that's well. going to be an interesting take. And yeah, yeah. I mean, even – I'm going to tell you the truth, too. It's going to be interesting to look at the uh, where he has the old school game and stuff up. Which yeah, is that, that middle aisle. Yeah, it's not a huge selection, but usually it's mostly taken up by uh, DCC and Castle yep. of Crusade. Now, yes, part of the reason right. for that, part of the reason for that is, uh, uh, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Um, the distributor for like Frog God Games, publisher mm -hmm. of Sword and Witchery. Do you know who their distributor used to be? Paizo. No. Paizo. Oh, so, do you know who had stuff? When we did, when I say we, when I was working the convention, we did. Mm -hmm. Pathfinder by the pound. Yeah, yeah. It's because there was a warehouse full of frog on Pathfinder shit that never got into distribution. Wow. Because it was sitting in the Paizo warehouse. Wow. So um, that tells you a, a lot. 
Now, yeah, yeah. hopefully, we can see some of these. I'd like to see if uh, uh, right. any of the other old school rule sets are up. Yeah. You're talking pictures. I was. I can't believe I was smart enough to do this. I took pictures of the section for use in the podcast today. So if you want, I can show you my screen, if you could show it. This is Barnes yeah. & Noble in, in a store in Connecticut. Live as of tonight. Let me uh, let me figure out how to fucking do this. <laughs> let me uh, share a screen. Oh, I was going to only share an actual screen. Oh, a window. Here we go. Share a window. All right. Sorry, guys. I'm learning as I go here, buddies. All right. So let me share this window. Can you see that? All right. <laughs> All right. Cool. Cool. This is this is the D and D section. All right. So you're looking at the essentials kit. All right. I, if you, I don't know, it's hard to zoom in here. If you want later, you can on your computer or whatever. Starter kit, dungeon tiles, the Curse of Strahd, and you know, million dollar thing, Ravanica. <laughs> All the D and D books, the heroes feasts, you know, all that stuff. And I think I got another picture here with the lower shelves: Wildermount, Candlekeep, Warden Canaan's Foes, Tasha's Cauldron, Mad Mage. Now, little, was, little fillers in the bottom there. I see that was kind of neat. What that looks like it is. Well, I'm going to zoom in a little bit because I think I can. If I click this, this is zoomed in for you. Do you see yep. that better now? All right, yep. cool. This was kind of fucking cool because look at what it says. This has got to be an employee in the store who does role playing games, right? And he says, you know what? I'm going to put some role-playing adjacent or related books in here. Good ideas for noobs and veteran RPers alike, Glenn. So some fucking guy named Glenn <laughs> knows all about D&D books or whatever. He put a few books there that I'd never heard of, which I thought was fucking valuable. This I is why you game, go to a bookstore. I have the Ultimate RPG Gameplay Guide. I have a review copy on that one, yeah. yeah. This is neat. The Ultimate Micro RPG Book, Into the Dungeon. You got um, the Ultimate Character Backstory Guide. You got Live to Tell a Tale by Keith Amann, wherever the fuck that is. The World Builders Journal, Dungeons and Drawings, a book on how to do stuff. The Dungeon Master's Book of Random Encounters. I mean, it was kind of cool, you know, to see that kind of stuff, right? So here, you get an idea. I'm zooming out a little bit. You know, you get an idea of what, what the hell was in this section. It was a well-stocked 5e section. Now, moving along here. All right, that's another. I took a zoom in close up on that. So this is the other section, right? <laughs> so the other section, as you can see. Starts with, let me zoom in a bit so you guys can see a little bit better. All right. So the other section on top of you, you got the dungeon board game. Again, you got 5e bleed over here, right? Yeah. Uh, the spell cards, you know. I don't know what the fuck that stuffed animal is there for. Some whatever fuck. You got critical role related shit there, right? You got magic the gathering. And then here you got the Pathfinder. Check out the fucking Pathfinder section, dude. This is it. This is the entirety of it. That core rule book on the right, that's the one for second edition. The beginner box, I believe, is for second edition, right? It says on top there. Um, then you got right. like nothing. You got nothing. You got old fucking digest-sized copies of the old Beastery for first edition. You got uh, the second edition paperback rule book. And then you jump into the Starfinder, right? That's it. You got nothing there. And it's like, holy Christ, how far the mighty have fallen, you know? And then you get into, like I said, all the rest. Your your cyberpunk, and let's see. I think I got another picture of the. Uh, come on, Joe. You know this isn't your pictures aren't legit, man. Yeah. You, you, you cleared out the shelves. I did. I threw them all on the floor. I took the. Yeah, I'm too fat and old and tired to do that kind of work. So <laughs> yeah, this. But this is it. This is all the rest. You got a lot of cyber. You got more fucking cyberpunk bio uh, uh, space here than it looks like then, or just as much as Pathfinder, right? And then yeah. you know the rest of the bullshit here. You know, Overwatch, League of Legends, yada yada. That's it, though. That was that was the entire fucking section, man. I was blown away by how little, and I haven't been in, like I said, in 16 months since COVID. It's my first trek to a bookstore. And you know me, I'm a book maniac. So it was yeah. kind of, a, you know, boom, you know, the gongs have gone off when I walked in. But you're looking at it. That's the whole goddamn section, man. 
Now, I'm curious, like you were saying, I'll stop sharing here. As you were saying, I'm very curious how the hell this is going to work out when we go to Complete Strategist in a few weeks and see what's there. You know, I'm, I'm going to definitely take photos. Well, you know, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It's yeah. going to be interesting to get, you know, the, the, the conversations that we're going to be having about all this stuff because it's going to be, uh, uh, I, I don't think we're going to record anything uh, that no. day. I think. I don't that know. Happen. All right. I'm not, cool. I'm not. I'm not. Yeah, yeah. I. I think we're gonna have a lot of things that are not off the record, but just general yeah. bullshitting. And yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, I. I think it's gonna be exchanging of the minds. Yeah. I think it's gonna be interesting. I, I do know, too. And I do too. Uh, again, you know, folks, that if you if you follow this channel, if you follow Ten Cars Tavern over the years, you know, I have an obsession with numbers. I did statistics yeah. as a cop. I did statistics yeah. as a sergeant. Um, and statistics don't always tell the full story. A lot of times you have to dig deeper. And, you know, this is a deep dive that Joe just did here. And I'm sure that people go, well, that's just that Barnes & Noble. You know what? That is true. Yeah. But that goes along with other statistics that we do have. Paint a certain picture. Yep. I can tell you this. It's a Barnes & Noble I'll give you the town. It's in North Haven, Connecticut. North Haven, Connecticut is a town that is 10, 15, 10, not even 10 minutes away from New Haven, Connecticut. New Haven, Connecticut has about six colleges, including Yale. And so there's a lot of kids there. Now, there is a Barnes & Noble downtown in New Haven, which is related to Yale. They have a lot of the textbooks and yada, yada there. So that's, you know what? Fuck it. Hey, before the next one, I'll take some more pictures there down at that one and see how a college town uh, bookstore, you know, that is hard yeah. in New Haven deals with this because like i said north haven's close but it's also in an area you know just outside of it I'll, I'll take pictures of that one too and i'll show you how it is you know in new york city i couldn't find a bookstore if i tried at least not in queens all my local bookstores are long fucking gone yeah yeah i know i'm surprised these guys lasted honestly you know uh yeah <laughs> i i feel you know what and i'm even like i liked walden books i think the best because my heart was there because I, they were tiny and they had the same little store feeling but over above Barnes and Noble, I loved Borders books. I, I thought they were the shit, man, because they didn't bug you when you walked in. They were more chill and low key. Yes. They had all this stuff. Barnes and Noble and Walden books, especially because for a while, about six months, I worked at Walden books, and it was always the mantra there that as soon as somebody walks in, you gotta say hi to them within like five or ten seconds. I'm like, fuck you. When I walk into a store, I don't want to say hi to nobody. I don't want to be bugged. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm you know? like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, didn't like it, you know. But Borders was fun. Borders had a good vibe, and uh, it's too bad they went out of business. And when when the local one here, uh, the closest to me, went out of business, I remember going. It was at a mall. I walked up to, uh, and I was just wanted to see what was left, you know. And there was a sign right. on the door, and it says, uh, "So I'm like, sorry, you can't use our bathrooms anymore. Um, try to use Amazon's instead." and that was like on a magic marker on a big poster hung on the mirror on, on the on the window rather it was probably somebody's last day there and what are they going to say what's the manager going to say it's no longer a borders you know what i mean there's nobody there to right. say to take it down so it was like wham shot across the bow and you know i i can't say i've never bought books off of amazon dude you know no I'll you. i I'm, i certainly have yeah. And actually, I should. That's another deep dive we should do. I should uh, look at the uh, Amazon sales ranks for RPGs, and see what the top twenty books are, and see how many Pathfinder books landed to those top twenty. That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. I'm curious. 
I, I, I hope they do well because they're decent people and they kept the, the torch burning for a while when they had the 4E hell. You know what I mean? So they're, I hope yeah. they do well. I really do. You know, and uh, I, I tell you what I want to hear about one time is Eric Mona. You know, the guy, who, I think he might still work there. I'm not sure. I'm, I'm not up on who does or doesn't. So I'm not trying to right. guess the person as he's been fired. I don't fucking know who works there anymore. I heard they're low on staff now. But anyway, Eric Mona, when he worked at, TSR actually or uh, Wizards or whoever the hell it was when he was there it was young right. he was new and there was a lot of the old school old timers there and Eric Mona is a huge fan of Greyhawk as well he's up there with you know the the Greyhawk Ragnar you know what I mean he's he's up there right. as a huge mega fan he's never put out stuff for it but he's used that level of knowledge and love of it to put it into his setting that he does for Pathfinder right they're you know they're, they're whatever the fuck it's called but Glorian yes Gloria yeah, yeah but he was posting somewhere about stuff where you're talking about it once where he was saying he talked to these old schoolers about Greyhawk and Gary put so many fucking Easter eggs into that goddamn world, you know, uh, little things that only he or the guys in the know knew about. Right. And he heard that this river is named because of that. And this country is over here and that represents this. And this is a joke over here, this mountain range based on this story. Like he knows all this dirt. That's the kind of shit I would love to hear about someday. You know, that would be fucking fantastic. You ever ever think about interviewing those guys, dude? You know, it's different. It'd be interesting, you know, because they're even though it's a new school game, they're about old school guys. You know? No, I, I know. The thing is, like when Mike and I do the interviews, I, for the most part, we try to grab the people from the OSR that are doing yeah. Kickstarters yeah. and other projects. Mm -hmm. We grabbed some of the uh, old timers uh, like Steve Winter when yeah. we were doing uh, the North Texas guests. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, these generally we, we aim for people that we actually have a personal connection to. In gotcha, some way. gotcha, gotcha. Yep. You know, now that being said, I, I'm going to attempt to uh, make a contact with Steve Dinehart. Nice, uh, yeah. What, of Wonder. Filed or wonderful, <laughs> however you spell it. <laughs> however, giant land. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to get his side of the story, and I will. Mm -hmm. I, I will be glad to give him a platform as long as we uh, stick to uh, facts, and I'll, mm -hmm. I'll stick to the facts. Mm -hmm. And uh, but I, I'd like to to get a better view of the dynamics that were going on because I don't believe the story that I'm hearing now about the, that this was all diehard. I don't believe it. I don't yeah. see that, but. I don't know anything about it really to have an opinion, but I'm looking forward to what the fuck the truth is. You know, <laughs> at least this guy's perspective of the truth. You, you can't handle the truth. <laughs> I made that reference to a woman who's like 38 years old the other day, uh, busting her chops about something. She goes, what are you talking about? I'm like, mother of God, am I that old? Come on, Tom Cruise, yeah, come on. A few good men. She called me a boomer. I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, mama. <laughs> yeah. Oh man! Oh god, uh, dude, it's like over uh, past ten, man. I think past we, we had a good, we had a good goddamn night, and I got to take yeah. a leak, so it's probably a good time oh, to stop. <laughs> it's a good time for us to stop. Yeah, uh, folks, tomorrow night, eight p.m. Eastern. Uh, Rach and I will be back with Gamers Health. It's the uh, third live stream of the week that we uh, we do on this channel. Uh, we've been getting some good feedback. Please, we love we love uh, our live viewers. We love to to interact with you. So please. We'll, we'll we'll talk about stuff. If you want, if you have something you want us to address, mention it on the live stream. We'll 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 jump on it as much as we can. Yeah, yeah uh, that's cool. 
I believe, uh, again, I said earlier, this coming Wednesday, 8 p.m., Greg Christopher will be the guest with uh, Mike and I. Looking forward to that. Crit. That's on Wednesday. And we are still in the midst of the world of COVID. Yeah. Uh, again, use your common sense. I really can't stress that enough. Ignore the talking heads. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm saying talk to another professional. Get the answers that you need to make the decisions that you need to make. All right? You can't help others if you're not healthy. So just mm-hmm. do what you need to do. Be safe. Be well. God bless. Roll those dice. Knock on wood. I'll be back again tomorrow. And if there's any more this TSR wacky news, we'll be sure to throw up a quick update. But now hopefully there is. Hopefully it just quiets down. Yeah. I, it's it's turning my hair gray. It really <laughs> yeah, no. is. I don't, I don't know if this was necessary to turn the hair gray, dude. I'll tell you. No, no. <laughs> Actually, I started really going gray my last like year and a half at work. It was like, oh, my yeah. God, the gray is really coming in. So it's been gray for a number of years now. But at least yeah. I'm not losing it, right? I guess yeah, that's, yeah, that's what that's I say. That's the good part. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I got the whole fucking do going on here. You see me? Oh, you yeah, haven't yeah. seen me in a while. Dude, it's fucking halfway down my back. <laughs> oh, my God. It's going to be yeah, awesome. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, it'll be hot. I hope it's not fucking hot that day. I was sweating my balls off. Anywho. Anyhow, folks, thank you again. Uh, if you haven't yet, please subscribe, like, and if you can, comment uh, after the live stream ends. Because yeah. com- these comments yep. don't count toward the actual the account for the stream. They yep. help us, obviously, but your comments after we end this stream are will help, will help with the... Uh, Help the YouTube algorithms uh, mm-hmm. place this better and, yep, and grow yep. the channel and all that other stuff. Yep, we got yep. plans. We, got, we yeah. have plans for what Looking we get for a thousand. thousand. Looking for a thousand. Uh, and it's in plans that will be good for the community at large. But yeah, we'll yeah. announce when we get close to that. Yep. All yep. right, folks. Later. Later, guys. Have a good night and good weekend.